Hey everybody, Paul here. Uh, Just a quick update before this episode gets going. We have been hard at work on season two and we have a couple episodes left to record and edit and our plan was to start releasing these episodes once the baseball season started and well, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a global pandemic and the baseball season has been delayed. I can't believe those words are true and I'm saying them out loud. But we figured while we're still finishing up season two and while the delay is happening, Why not throw up episode one as a little treat for everybody that is self-quarantining out there? So that's what we're doing today. This is the season premiere of season two, where we review and uh, analyze Mr. 3000. Uh, So I hope you enjoy it. Andrew and I are both safe. Uh, We're both doing our part by staying inside and self-quarantining. And I hope you guys are also doing it and staying safe out there and taking care of each other because we're all we got, baby. This is it. Uh, So... Hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll keep you updated as to when we'll post the rest of season two. But in the meantime, here is the premiere episode. Early, happy birthday, Merry Christmas. Uh, Enjoy it, and we'll hopefully see you guys soon. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. God, I love baseball. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. I believe in the church of baseball. There's no crying in baseball! Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Andrew. And I'm Paul. And this is Play Ball. Baseball at the movies. This is a show where we watch and talk about every baseball movie. Watch and talk about every single one. You know what this is, Paul? What? This is season two. We did it. We did it. We made a season two of something. Welcome to, we made a season one of something. Oh my God. That's the big, that's wow. a big accomplishment. Yeah, who knows if we'll finish this one. <laughs> <laughs> Only 5,000 more seasons to go. Speaking of uh, the number 5,000 minus 2,000. Oh, good transition thank you thank you (laughs) today we're talking about for our season premiere season two mr 3000 mr 3000 all right so if you're new to the podcast here's how it works we're going to introduce this movie and walk through the plot and then review it then we're going to do our inside baseball segment and we're going to be talking about all the baseball in the movie uh we got some great segments today paul i'm really excited we do we're gonna be talking about members of the 3000 hit club Mm -hmm. we're gonna be talking about notable major league baseball comebacks Mm -hmm. we're gonna be talking about some of the greatest women journalists in baseball history super excited about that one hell yeah and we're talking about our favorite guy on this podcast guess who it is paul guess who it is my father even better oh the father of baseball oh my other father your other father barry bonds barry bonds <laughs> i'm so excited should we go should we get into it yes let's let us start our three thousand point conversation ayo where we only we, if we talk about more than three thousand things show's over we can't go over three thousand if you have not seen this movie mr three thousand here's the log line bernie mac is stan the boss ross a baseball superstar who turned his back on the game years ago when he finally hit three thousand hits literally the same day the same day after the uh, as soon as the game is done so is he Years later, he is now a successful self-made entrepreneur with many businesses that revolve around his title, Mr. 3000. But a clerical error has proven that Stan is just uh, three hits short of his spectacular hit record. He actually has 2,997. Now, with the team on his side and the potential to be introduced into the Baseball Hall of Fame, Stan has to return to the game after almost a decade to get back his title. He needs to get three more hits to secure his place in the Hall of Fame. But he's older now. Things have changed with his age. 
he finds out it's not too easy to come back to the game that he hasn't played as he's nearing 50. That was my nice clip. That's the whole movie. He did the, it. To the point. <laughs> log line. <laughs> that was like a, it's like a paragraph. It was like 30 log lines. Yeah. I, it's like 3,000 log lines. Yeah. Those jokes are not going to stop. I'm just warning <laughs> you right now. All right. This movie stars Bernie Mac as Stan Ross. It stars Angela Bassett as Mo Simmons, who is the reporter covering his return and also mm-hmm. Bernie Mac's love interest. By the way, that's the last time we're going to say Stan Ross on this show. He's, oh, he's Bernie no. Mac. My whole notes are just littered with me writing Bernie, Bernie Mac. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, it's a great baseball name. It is. I a great, will say it's a really good character. And the, throughout the movie, it's kind of like used. Yeah, he like he has a whole mantra: yeah, Stan the boss, right. Ross, or Stan Ross. I'm the boss. I pay what it costs. Keep going because I'm something. Uh, <laughs> it stars uh, Michael Rispoli as Boca, who is yeah. a former player and Bernie Mac's best friend. Yeah. Michael Rispoli is also from Sopranos. Right. This movie is like full of former gangsters. But uh, it stars Paul Sorvino as right. Gus, the manager, another famous gangster. Right. Uh, Paul. He's, oh, he's such a good gangster in The Rocketeer. Oh, he's yeah. like the main one. He was he's in this like, other gangster movie. Uh, what was it called? Oh yeah, Goodfellas. Oh yeah, I guess. <laughs> Rocketeer's a better gangster. Uh, Mr. 3000 also stars Brian White as T-Rex Pennybacker, who is the current superstar on the Brewers when Bernie Mac comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Chris Noth, who is Mr. Big from Sex and the City. Right. As the GM. He's the, yeah, he's like the owner, yeah. I think, of the team. And then there are some crazy cameos in this movie. I wrote down three crazy cameos. Right. There are a lot. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. The first crazy cameo Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, for like three seconds. Yeah, he's a blank and you'll miss it reporter. But he's there. He, Bernie Mac is like taking batting practice and he's like, You gotta get a hit today. <laughs> like that's it. <laughs> he's like he's like blurry in the background. Yeah. But it was nice. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It also stars Dane Cook. I saw that. Is the, that true? Was that verified? Because I yeah, I read I think it on so. the trivia, but I think so. Because that's insane. At least the voice. Dane Cook is the voice of... There's a character who's the mascot in like the giant sausage. <laughs> Not just the mascot. The Brewer's sausage yeah, mascot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And And he's like... He hates Stan Ross. <laughs> <laughs> he hates him because he would... Stan Ross wouldn't help him zip up his fly in the bathroom. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, help me help me zip it up, Bernie Mac. And Bernie Mac's like, no. I'm nah, not, not going to do, do that. Do that. And then every time we see him, he hates him. Yeah, but we only see him out. as the giant. Right. Don't see Dan Cook's face, but Dan Cook's voice. Thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> and then third. Yeah. Best cameo. Oh, I know. Can we say yeah. it at the count of three? Yeah. One, One two, two, three. three. Tom Buster. Arnold. Oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Buster Posey's in the movie. Yeah, yeah. This is for you, Mr. Giants fan. I know, but Tom Arnold's in it. You think Tom Arnold is better than Buster Posey? No, I don't. But Tom Arnold... What the heck kind of baseball fan are you? What's wrong with you? Buster Posey is barely in this movie. Tell you what, why don't you talk about Tom Arnold and I'll talk There's about... a good Roseanne joke in this movie. There's 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 one good Roseanne joke. There's a pretty movie. good Tom Arnold Roseanne joke. There's also a future uh, three-time World Series champion. It's true. Buster Posey's in the movie. For uh, like a, you don't even really see him. Buster Posey uh, was 17 years old when this movie was made. Right. He was still in high school and he cameos as a player on the Astros. Right. And then sure enough, Goes on to do some baseball things. Some a couple things. Yeah. More importantly, Tom Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many. I guess this um, is a movie podcast too, right. not just a baseball. There podcast. were so many uh, ESPN sports show cameos mm-hmm. of like an era that I yeah. remember. That I would. I remember watching a lot of that 
of those shows yeah. growing up and think and like so rewatching this movie and seeing all those cameos like oh man this takes me back to a, an era that is fucking gone yeah <laughs> it's it's true it's so great when you see some of those guys pop up well you know in all these movies sort of made around the mid-2000s moneyball mm-hmm. has a lot of these guys right too. that's true uh super fun should anyway we listen, should we listen to the trailer yeah let's listen to the trailer let's do it you don't like me because I don't sign autographs. You don't like me because I tell you what's on my mind. But you love me. Because I'm one of the greatest hitters alive. On the night Stan Ross got his 3,000th hit, he knew he had his ticket to the Hall of Fame. Who got my damn ball? I got mine. And ain't nothing in the world you can do about it. From that moment on, 3,000 wasn't just his record. It was his whole life. Bring the whole family to Mr. 3,000 Shopping Center. 3,000 cuts, 3,000 walks, 3,000 balls. <laughs> Ten years later, this legendary player... You can't tell when they have something pretty special. Good night. I had your toenails popping off like Redenbach. ...is finally going to be recognized. Say Hall of Fame! As baseball's biggest error. Stan Ross, Mr. 3000, has only 2,997 hits. What type of board is that? All right, that's the trailer. That's that was a. I mean, this movie came out in 2004. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, wow, but it was like (laughs) it felt like the 90s, like full swing, like. Pitch perfect '90s trailer. I love the 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 music that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so that's like that's probably in Space Jam. That's oh, yeah. probably in Angels <laughs> in the Outfield. That's probably in you know Every, a dozen yeah. movies over like a ten year period. Yes, in '90s to that. You couldn't. It was illegal to make a sports movie without that. <laughs> and the the beginning too actually is based on a real commercial. That's based on Charles Barkley's like I'm not a role model right commercial, but he's baseball, so he's. He's again basically Barry Bonds. I thought of that. It's your for favorite you. thing. Thought, it's your favorite thing to do. <laughs> I thought of that for you. I turned this movie on, and he's like, "I'm not a role model," and I was like, "Oh, he's Barry Bonds." Barry Bonds <laughs> I yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. This movie came out like we said in 2004. Biggest baseball story in 2004. Paul, Red Sox won the World Series. Overcame the curse I would of say Bambino. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty big, big baseball story. Yeah, pretty big. The movie how it was received not great. Uh, it's got a 54 percent. Uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert saw the movie. Hit me. Not his best review. Yeah. He basically just says, like, this is a movie that exists. <laughs> uh, but the best quote from the review, he says, Bernie Mac is a meat and potatoes kind of actor, at least in the roles he's given to play. In his characters, what you see is what you get. A no BS, straight talker with unlimited self-confidence. He's a good choice to play Stan Ross because we believe him when he says what he thinks. And we especially believe him when he says what he shouldn't be thinking. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, So we're going to walk through the plot. As always, we're putting in the notes, the time code for everything. So when we start to talk about the inside baseball, if you've seen this movie, if you don't care about our review, (laughs) go ahead, skip ahead. Um, But if you're still with us, if you want to hear what happens to this movie, please stick around. Let's walk through the plot. Yeah, let's do it. So the movie starts out with... Uh, Stan Ross, uh, it's in 1995, right. I believe, and it's he's at the end of his... So much IMDb trivia about how <laughs> the Brewers were still in the American League in 19... 19- oh, and, oh, that, that's and right. that the Miller Park didn't even exist yet. 
Oh, really? Even though they were shooting there. Yeah. Oh. So uh, most of the facts were like, this is not real. <laughs> Baseball nerds <laughs> freaking out. Yeah. Get a 10 out of 10 interested in this fact. <laughs> so we see Stan Ross is the superstar on the team. Uh, he's 37 at the time, I guess. So we see him. We see this little commercial kind of introduces us to who he is. Again, he has a very Barry Bonds type. He's like, you know, my second note, because you texted me. Oh, he's just Barry Bonds. I think we we said yeah, that. Or yeah, something. Yeah. And my second note was Barry Bonds wasn't that mean. <laughs> well, it wasn't that he wasn't that, but he wasn't that mean. He was get into a second. Right. But the commercial starts out with like, I you don't like me because I make the most money. You don't like me totally. because I speak my mind. Right. You don't like me because I don't give autograph to the fans. Right. But you love me because I'm the best damn hitter on the planet. It's right, something right, right, right. along those lines. And then and, immediately they establish like, oh, and that and is he's like bad with the media too. Yeah. Right away. And that's very like you know Barry Bonds totally type thing. Anytime, anytime it's like I'm the biggest superstar in the game and I'm kind of an asshole. It's like mm, mm, Barry, Barry, Bonds. Barry, Barry Bonds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets his three thousandth hit. And by hitting a guy in the nuts. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this this movie's kind of whack. <laughs> it's it's pretty bonkers. Yeah, he hits a line drive at the after like getting in an argument with the pitcher. Yeah, he's like, all right, and you see, which is, I will say about this movie that it actually has a lot of pretty realistic baseball portrayal. Yeah, I, I think the baseball is portrayed pretty well. It's pretty like how well they, done. How yeah. they film it, at least. How they film it, the, and then, the, like, the topics they bring up. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that you wouldn't really know if you yeah. weren't a baseball fan. Not not bad baseball. In like in that scene, he see, he, he's getting into an argument with the pitcher and then the pitcher is like, oh, I'm going to fucking get it past him. And they they do this shot where Bernie Mac gets like honed in on his hand and he can see the grip that he's going to yeah. pitch. And he's like, oh, I know what's coming. Yeah. And then the next pitch, he throws his pitch that Bernie Mac then hits a comebacker right as nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets safe for the 3,000th yeah. hit. So he gets his hit and the other pitcher, because the guy, because Bernie Mac is such an asshole about it and he's like showboating and prating around. Right. The other guy takes the hit and he throws it into the stands. Yes. As a fuck you. And then Bernie Mac goes into the stands. <laughs> this and is like, all in the first like three minutes yeah, of the movie. Yeah. And he like, he's like, give me my hit. And he like takes the ball away. He's like a little kid. And then the kid's like crying and he's... He's got the ball. Yeah, everyone in that section boos, and then it cuts to yeah. the media, and the media is like, "I heard you took a ball from a kid." Yeah, and he was like, oh, "It doesn't matter. I'm in the Hall of Fame." And he's now. like, "Screw you guys." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then, and then he retires on the spot, like with the reporter says, "I'm fucking yeah. done. Screw this team." And they're like, "You're in the middle of a pennant race." He's yeah, like, yeah, "Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter." Yeah, and it's like the end of the season too. It's like it's like they're only like two months out, right? And he's like, "Nope, screw it." I'm right done. away, establishing that he's just an incredibly selfish player. Yeah, doesn't care about the team or the game. He's just, just cares about, about himself. himself. Right. Yeah, yeah. That theme is, I would say, pretty hammered home uh, <laughs> the whole entire movie. Yeah. So then we cut to nine years later. He's got a slew of businesses all named for his brand, which is Mister Three Thousand. <laughs> right. He's it's got a great. Like a, it's a great joke. It's a yeah. So he's got <laughs> he's got like a whole shopping center, and so he's got like Mister Three Thousand Chinese food. <laughs> Mr. 3000 discount shoes. Mr. He's 3000, got a beeper store. Yeah, yeah. Mr. 3000 beeper. Mr. 3000 pet cleaning. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Whole get, shopping get complex. Pet, yeah, bathed or whatever. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's all he cares about. And also, he's been expecting to get into the Hall of Fame for a few years now. He's like his, Correct. First, his right. first year. You're eligible five years after you retire. So like his first year, he was, you know, 100 votes shy. And then he was... 40 votes shy and then the most recent one I think he was like four votes yeah something like that shy, and again like that. the people who vote 
the players in mm-hmm. are the media, the writers, the writers, and right. they had already established that. Yeah, he's they have a terrible relationship. Yeah. So they they then cut to basically a scene of like at Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. and the the statisticians are like, you know how we run well, the numbers. Well, before that, sorry, I'm ruining this whole thing. The GM and um, Bernie Mac, what's uh-huh. his name, Ross, yeah. Bernie Mac, uh, they agree that he's gonna they're gonna retire his number. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I got that. Yeah, the the Brewers are struggling. Well, they set up the Brewers are struggling with ticket sales. That's right, because their team is like. Which is the Brewers that yeah. we grew up knowing. Yeah. The they, Brewers. they just sucked for <laughs> our, Brewers, most of our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until, what, two years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the Brewers the Brewers suck, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they've been struggling with ticket sales, so the season's kind of lost, so they say, uh, we're going to retire Bernie Mac's number. Right. He's clearly not loved by any of his old teammates. No. no. So they, Other than Boca. Yeah. Bo- Boca runs a Which bar. is not his real name, by the way. Yeah. He it, calls him Boca because he wears track suits. And, and it's like should, Italian sounding. Should be living a life in Boca Raton. It's, that character <laughs> it's so is the biggest waste of a character. Yeah, it's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. But so the strange. movie establishes that his whole, that Bernie Mac is selfish and has no friends. Yeah. Except for this one guy, Boca. They, they and do they, something interesting with this character, which oh, I'll get into in a little bit. There's but. like one moment, sure, but like yeah. they don't ever get into like why they're friends at all. Yeah. And it, I feel like if there was, if if they had just showed some, some just more. a little bit they, why they, needed, they were friends, they for sure they needed more. Anyway, so they go to this ceremony. It's the it's the only thing that gets Bernie Mac Santa Ross back to the stadium. Yes, for the first time. Right. He's, he's never in, come to participate in any events. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. So this is the only thing that gets him back, and. They can't get any of the old teammates to come and talk right. about him. So they get like some random like relief pitcher right. from like his time in the minors. And they even say, oh, we got the big horse such and such. And he's, he's like, like who, who the hell is that? What? And they're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's the only guy we could get. Right. And then Boca's speech was like three words long. So, well, so that guy goes up and he's like, uh, he's like, I guess when you get 3000 hits, you can be the biggest asshole in the world <laughs> and trashes him. Yeah. And then Boca goes up and he's like. I loved him because he always hit. Right. And then he sat down. And that's it. Yeah. That part actually made me laugh out loud. Yeah. It was Bernie's good. face was real good during that part. Yeah. And then Bernie gets up and he's like, isn't this bull- like I'm the best. Isn't this bullshit that I haven't been elected to the Hall of Fame yet? Right. And he gets the whole crowd riled up. And the crowd, even though he's an asshole, yeah. loves him. Because I yeah, will say this movie is carried by Bernie Mac. Oh, his charisma 100%. is insane. Yeah, it really is. Even when it started at like any moment, I was like, this is stupid. As soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, all right, Bernie, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. In fact, we'll get into it. I wish the movie did that a little bit more. I, I agree. Wish, yeah, I wish no, it I, just kind of let him. I totally agree. Just let him loose. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, he gets up and does this charismatic thing. Yeah. And they love him. Which fans do. You I, love your asshole fans. Oh, 100%. I, th- I said in my notes, I said that he is like Barry Bonds mixed with like Clubber Lang. Ooh, from Rocky good. Three, because he's like yeah. this—he's like Conor McGregor in a way, where yeah. he's just like, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna say how cool I am, blah blah blah, almost Muhammad yeah. Ali esque. I um, feel like all of those players, like Draymond Green. It's oh, like, oh yeah, dude. If you're not a Golden State Warriors fan, you hate Draymond. Hate him, but I and fucking love him. Dude. You love him. He's the best. <laughs> so we're not talking about basketball ever, right? And that, much like Charles Barkley, which he's supposed to be kind of based on too. So. Paul is a Giants fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. We fight about baseball all the time. Yeah. We're both big Golden State fans. That's very true. We are. Sorry, everybody else. Sorry. Our team's the best. Well, Dynasty. Well, I don't want to we'll date see. this podcast. But we'll see. We're recording the nah, day we're after. we're still the best. We're recording the day after Kawhi signs still the, best. the Clippers. Okay. <laughs> we're still the best. We're still the best. We'll see. Still the best. We love Draymond. 
that's true. Anyway, then, as you say, he's not loved by the fans, but they retire his number. But then... No, he is loved by the fans. Oh, my I'm point sorry. Being. He's not loved by his teammates. Yes, yes, yes. Loved by the fans. Then we cut to Major League Baseball, and they discover this clerical error <laughs> where he had a three-hit game that was rained out, and then it was recorded again like double when they well i think it was like i think it's implied when they made the makeup game like months later right so three of these hits were recorded twice so they have to take them away and obviously that leaves him with 2997 hits right so it's this whole big thing mr 3000 didn't hit 3000 immediately he fails to make the hall of fame the next scene is right. like sport, no one yeah, they're, they're on Sports Center and they're talking about like, wow, he did not make it. And Bernie Mac's like, I can't. Did you find it weird that they told him? So like Bernie Mac finds out that he did not hit 3000 hits in right. front of a group of he's like reading. He's like doing his press tour to like convince people he's a good guy and he's reading a book in front of children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's literally, it's almost the same moment as like when George Bush was told about 9-11. Well, they, they, <laughs> yeah, he's like reading this book to these kids yeah. and then he gets a phone call and they're like, you didn't make it. And he starts cursing. And he starts cursing. Bullshit. And the kids are like, keep reading the book. He's like, shut up. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think they just did it to set up that joke of Bernie Mac. Totally. In front of it the was kids. a weird, it was a weird moment. I was it's like, really, it seems oddly familiar. It's really labored is what it is, which yes. you, I don't know. Spoiler alert for the review. I feel like that a lot in this movie is like, they do a lot of work to set up a joke that like the payoff just is kind of like, like yeah, oh, right. Great. Yeah. The charm of this movie. If it's is, not Bernie Mac just going for yeah, it, the, it's not funny. The charm of this movie is Bernie Mac. Yeah. He's a great character actor in addition to a yeah, comedian. Yeah, yeah. And so all the character work is really great. But then when they try to do these big setup jokes. Dumb 90s or, jokes. Yeah, yeah, it just, uh, that's where it all totally falls flat. Anyway. Mr. 2000 only has 2,997 hits. Oh no, his old brand is ruined. So there's actually a really touching scene. Uh, he's in the bar with Boca. His and bar's pretty cool, by the way. Boca's a cool bar. I'd go to the bar. Like, like his, he has a whole wall of three, he has a whole wall of three thousand baseballs. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Nerd, like nice a production design uh, touch. <laughs> it was cool. Uh, but so you see Sports Center, and they're like, "Oh, he didn't make it in the Hall of Fame." Right. And then Bernie Mac has this quiet moment. He's like, "Can't let him do it to me." Yeah, that was actually the best acting in the movie. I thought that scene yeah. was really touching. There's a couple moments where he he gets really uh, for sure, really really small, really nice. Yeah, so he decides to come back. So basically, so in, in sort of Act Two, the the setup of all this is like again the team is struggling. Right, they're totally out of the playoff race. Right, they're not going to make it. They're they're in fifth place in the division, and so big from Sexton City. Yep, he's the owner. <laughs> so he says. Look, we're not bringing in fans. He basically says, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look, we're not bringing in any money. We're not bringing in fans. Let's do it. It's going to drive people crazy. It's going to bring fans to the ballpark. When We'll give him two months to get in shape. And then in September, when we have the roster expansion, we'll bring him up. And it's going to drive fans to the ballpark. Right. So there were two things in that scene that I was like, damn, this is a really realistic baseball movie. Yeah. Because number one, they said... When we get the September roster expansion, yeah. which is not a thing that most baseball fans, or <laughs> if you're not a baseball about. fan, you have no idea what that means. Yeah. And then another one of the executives said it as a rebuttal, like, "Oh, okay, but like we're not in the AL anymore. He can't be a DH. He's going to have to move into the field." Yeah. Which is like number one, true. They went from the AL to the NL, yeah. and number two, two, yeah, you're right. Totally. He's old as shit, and how is yeah. he going to fucking play in the field? And I was like, "Damn, movie, also, you presented some real baseball shit." Also, this movie 
is him the owner saying like we have nothing to drive yeah. sales very we bill esque very bill esque or um it, it reminded me of the Mets signing tim tebow sure it's <laughs> like fuck, fuck it, it. yeah sure people what's gonna bring people to go see the mets minor league farm system let's sign tim some, tebow some kind of circus act let's and do it you know what it fucking worked oh yeah it was hugely it's been hugely successful if he sucks it's hilarious them. and people will watch that dumpster fire if he's not people will watch tim tebow do well i saw something i think i i, I don't remember what it was for it was like espn or something mm-hmm. but it was like who are the most recognizable baseball star it was like the it was like the top 100 most recognized athletes not tell me that tim tebow was he was like he was like the only base it was like him and Derek Jeter <laughs> oh. were the two baseball players in this like a hundred athletes that's incredibly depressing yeah it's okay. baseball doesn't do a good job promoting its stars it really fucking doesn't anyway do better job we're trying we're, <laughs> so we're that's not, what we're, we're not gonna doing do anything <laughs> okay so Bernie Mac is coming back so we have this whole montage he can't get in shape he goes to the gym and he's right. totally out of shape and, and then, then it was a pretty some, good montage he has some 90s music yeah and I forget what song it was but it was so nineties. Uh, did I write it down? No, I said. Dun, 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 I said the workout montage was actually pretty fun, probably because montages are fun. <laughs> yeah, you know he can't do push-ups. And then uh, by the end of it, he can. Yeah, he can't do Pilates. <laughs> Basically, he can't do like five different workouts, and then he can do. And that was another baseball thing that I thought was pretty realistic, which it was new ways to work out, like technology infused sure. things, where he was like, "I don't get it. Let me just do weights." And they're yeah. like, "No, we got a whole fucking thing now." Mm-hmm. We also get uh, the introduction of this love story. He goes to a press conference and his old flame, which completely not set up in the first act not of the movie, even fucking remotely. Uh, honestly, as as good of a as good work that she did, Angela Bassett. Yeah. That's her name. Yeah, as good of work that Angela Bassett did. I thought she was great. Her characters, the, it, the whole, whole the whole romantic subplot is just not good. Everything about it it's is bad. just such a disservice to her because oh, she's yeah. wonderful, and you can just tell the whole story in general. Yeah. Anyway, so so there's this love story. And all it needed, with, you're right. All it needed was a plant in the first act, yeah. and it would have made it would have felt fine. Angela ba- Angela Bassett plays Mo Simmons, who is a baseball reporter for ESPN, and she's been assigned to cover the return of Stan Ross and his attempt to get three more hits. So she kind of grills him at this press conference, and then we learn, oh, they were old flames. They used to date, and then they broke right. up because he was too selfish and. I guess, sure. He also calls the Brewers weak. He's like, they're a little league team. Yeah. I'm going to make them better. He belittles the team as a whole. Right. Gets on the team. He goes to the clubhouse. He kind of trash talks everybody. Everyone hates him, too. Yeah. Nobody wants to already trash talks him. him. (laughs) Yeah. Here we also meet the sort of big new star, uh, Rex. T Rex (laughs) Pennybacker. The best baseball name, best (laughs) baseball movie name I think I have ever heard. T Rex uh, Pennybacker. It's pretty stupid and great. I love how stupid it is. uh, I can't. (laughs) I hated it. (laughs) So T-Rex is the big new star on the team. Uh, He's sort of the only superstar on this team full of otherwise duds. Right. And he's like he's like leading the major leagues in home runs. It felt very major league-esque. They were clearly trying to uh, ape that trope of crazy baseball characters, which honestly... I love it. <laughs> Anytime a baseball, because there's such a good, there's such ample opportunity to have a, because baseball has been, it's not so much now, but has been for years, like each position 
you're going to have a different type type of person playing that position. Yeah. For movies, it gives you an opportunity to have different kind of characters yeah. at each position, and it's super fun yeah. to have this motley crew of crazy dudes. Totally. Um, and they took full advantage of that in this movie, and I, I was all for it. Yeah. It kind of reminded me. I love that idea. Actually, I mean, it sucks if you're a fan <laughs> in real life, but yeah. I kind of love that idea of like the team, which is terrible, except there's the one player who's amazing. Yes. I don't know. I just I like that. I remember in Ken Burns, the 10th inning, Mm -hmm. there's a there's a reporter for San Francisco, actually, because a lot of the 10th inning is framed around Barry Barry Bonds. And there's this reporter dad. (laughs) There's this reporter who says we never got to the World Series. Again, this is recorded all before Dynasty, three World Series. It's recorded before that. But he says we never got to the World Series but we had Barry Bonds and that was our consolation of right. at least we have it's very this true. generational talent. Yeah. Reminded me also of like Mike Trout a few years ago. Sure. Yeah. Like the angels have now they've got some good pieces in place and, and all they that. Could make a run. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But a few years ago it was like Mike Trout and little league team, <laughs> you know, right. like, so anyway, moving on. Yeah. So T-Rex, <laughs> he's essentially like Bernie Mac when he was young. Yeah. Yeah. He's an much. asshole. So we then see again, another montage i think this is the best part of the movie because it's just kind of montage after montage yeah we basically see a montage of like bernie mac kind of sucking at his return so he goes hitless for 27 at bats and he just is a failure at at the game so he gives these other players a hard time for being little leaguers then he goes up and he misses and they give him a hard time for being old right and he just he kind of can't do it but he does rediscover his love of baseball Totally in in this segment of the movie, which is really nice. And he also after he after that first game, it, it was it was just a deluge, a landslide of all those early two thousand sports shows cameos. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart Scott, the best damn sports show period. Uh, Tom Arnold, John Sally. Yeah. Uh, who else was on there? It was just, it was so nostalgic of like, holy shit, I forgot yeah. about all these shows. Oh yeah. So this is. This is the period of the film where we kind of get... I don't, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. I'm frustrated about this, Paul. It's Which weird, part? this part of the movie, because they're they're trying to do so many things. Oh, yeah. I'll talk, I'll talk about this a little bit more in the review, but he basically... They have him kind of rediscover his his not just his love of the game but like yes. how to be a team player yeah, which but, was and like it was so it, weird because he was the selfish one it didn't make any sense yeah like the, they didn't establish that he if they had planted maybe in the first act that he wasn't that he wasn't a selfish player when he was young yeah, maybe yeah. or something he i don't know loved the game it didn't yeah or it's, something it started with him it started with him being selfish. Incredibly selfish. And then he rediscovers his love of the game, which we've never seen before. Literally never seen it. So it it's only by the fact that he's a baseball player and obviously had had a long career. Yes. We have to assume he loved it at some point when he was younger, even then we see him in the first scene. Pretty, pretty but much. They just don't yeah. set it up. The whole, the whole movie, nothing is really earned. Yeah. Like it's so it, true. It They kept presenting... I would say like these base, not just baseball movie tropes, but like movie tropes Yeah, that they mm-hmm. kind of, what did I write it down? Hold on. I'm going to sound eloquent. Here we go. <laughs> Basically nothing is earned in this movie and yeah. it shows. Yeah. And it never feels quite uh, good I, <laughs> because yeah, of that. I completely agree. So, you know, we we still have some interesting scenes. 
um, yeah. kind of on a scene by scene basis. There's a fun scene where he kind of recognizes one of the pitchers that they're facing is tipping his pitches. Right. He can tell when he's going to throw the curveball. That's another thing I put in the list of real, pretty realistic baseball things. Yeah, for sure. So then he he says to the rest of the team, "Hey." Look, pay attention, you know, and nobody's watching the game really. Right. There there are these two characters, I don't even learn their names, but they're just always like competing with each other. Betting on things. But, yeah. yeah, I I know more baseball stats they're than They're pretty you. fun. I know more. Yeah, it was a good character again, character trope yeah. they're gonna have in there. But they're more focused on on beating each other in rocks, paper, scissors or right, you know, right. whatever it is, instead of watching the game. Then Bernie Mac kind of rallies everybody like, Hey, come on, pay attention. Like we found out something about this picture. We can right. all we can beat him. Right. Which again didn't make any sense yeah, why just, he was acting unselfish out of nowhere. Yeah. Exactly. And so I guess uh, the idea the movie I guess he, the idea is like, oh he was humbled because he sucked the first time. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Anyway. It just they want to show that he's his baseball acumen is high. He's a smart Correct. And they player. establish that in the very beginning when he can see the guy, what grip he has on the ball. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It just... Uh... If they had established way early that, yeah. yes, he loved the game and that his baseball uh, IQ was insanely high, yeah. this would have made sense. They only do half of it. They only show that he's a smart player. Yeah. But from the beginning, from the first frame, the first line of the movie is like, it's all about me. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's selfish. And but now he's rediscovering the team mindset. Right. Which, again, is unearned. We've never seen it. before. Yeah. And he teaches the team to be unselfish. If there had been a player on that team to teach him to be unselfish. Yeah. That would have been so much better. Yeah. But instead, he it's the opposite. He mm-hmm. teaches, as we're going to get into, T-Rex to be unselfish. Yeah. I can't believe that's a sentence I just said out loud. <laughs> Also, during this time, we see his kind of on again, off again, rekindling with Angela Bassett. Right. She likes him because he's he's charming. And at one point, they're going to sleep together. But then uh, he kind of gets selfish again. And so she that leaves. And weird, then yeah. the whole thing is just it's almost done like scene by scene of just you think the that they're going to get back together. Yeah. And then she's mad. And then you think they're going to get back together. And then. He go, he leaves her and again. It just, it, that felt to me very Bull Durham esque, like yeah. them trying to do that kind of relationship, and yeah. it just didn't work. And pretty much any time that it wasn't baseball, Bernie, I didn't really care. Yeah, to be honest I with you, totally agree. So then we get into the third act. Um, baseball Bernie is a very good baseball <laughs> name. I I've definitely almost said Bernie Sanders like five <laughs> times. <laughs> I'd love to see baseball Bernie Sanders. I'd love to see Bernie Sanders come back and try and get three more hits. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, moving into Act 3, the team is seven games out of third place in the division with 11 games to play. So they've got to go on a pretty hot streak. Uh, and D.A. Pen- uh, not D.A. Pennybacker. T-Rex Pennybacker is named after a documentary filmmaker, D.A. Pennybacker, who made a documentary about Bob Dylan called Don't Look Back, which... What? Also, yeah, that's the whole... This is why it annoyed me. There's another player whose last name is Dylan, and then T-Rex's last name is Pennybacker, which is so oddly specific. Yeah. Pennybacker is the last name of a documentary filmmaker, D.A. Pennybacker, who made a documentary in the 60s about Bob Dylan called Don't Look Back, kind of pioneered the whole cinema verite movement in documentaries. Yeah. So they have a player named Dylan and a player named Pennybacker. And that for me, that's just like, I know it's like an obscure thing. That's so, but, but the movie I made, it, no, but the, and the, I was just like, what the fuck guys? It's just like, okay, so you like 
you're a fan of this other filmmaker. You've now taken me out of the story to show. There's no Bob Dylan anywhere in that movie. I know. It's too, it, it just. Wow, that's it was, weird. Yeah. It, was the right, were one of the writers a fan? That's so I guess so. Strange. Yeah. It just, uh, it, it bugged me so much. It's I just am, so. You're such a Bob Dylan nerd. <laughs> I, I had no idea. That's crazy. I love you, dad. Thanks for <laughs> introducing me to Bob Dylan. So Pennybacker, T-Rex Pennybacker, mm-hmm. he learns from. Bernie. Bernie. Because during the, there's a press conference where T-Rex throws his whole team under the bus. Because at this right. point, he's like 50 home runs. And then Bernie gets the press away from him. Right. And says, hey, you're the leader. You're Later on. You got to set the tone. Yeah. He, he confronts him in the garage. Yeah. And later on, he's like, you're the star. You set the tone for the whole team. And all you got to be, be better. Yeah. So be, then, be what I... Don't do what I did, essentially. So then we have the game where he gets his first hit. Right. And the team... By sliding... It's a, the fucking bullshit little infield bloop <laughs> yeah, that he yeah. like, dives into the bag to get his he first... He slides into first. 2,998. Yeah. And Pennybacker is the one who rallies it to everyone like, hey, good job, right. Stan. You got your hit, you old man. Let's fucking. He ribs him, but he also right. rallies the team. And he's like, let's get the third fucking place. There's 10 games left. We can do it. Right. So Which they, is a fun, like the low stakes plot. I actually kind of liked that. Idea. Yeah. It's you, you're like, what are the stakes for like a ragtag Motley crew? Right. It's like, let's not be losers. <laughs> like that's, right. that's not a bad device as a story engine and, and all that. So the team wants to, they need to go on a hot streak at the end of the season here. They got 11 games to play. They say, let's make third place. Let's not be shitty. Yeah. So they need to win a couple games. Bernie Mac helps everybody kind of focus. He becomes a leader and he helps Pennybacker become a leader uh, and also helps Pennybacker not repeat his own mistakes. Right. As a young man, there's a nice mirroring of, you know, yeah, I've yeah, walked that path. Sure, Don't yeah. me. It's fine. <laughs> the owner, Mr. Big, comes back. He's just Mr. Big. 100%. Maybe that's how he got so wealthy and, uh, Texas City. Maybe he owned the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, he was the Brewers owner? <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, this baseball cinematic universe. I will say, good, f- good for the Brewers to have such a, a Hollywood treatment. Yeah, you I thought I mean? the same like, way. The whole time I was like, mm, this is cool. Good for the Brewers. Yeah. They kept highlighting the sausage races. I was yeah, like, yeah, this is nice. This is really cool. Totally agree. Totally agree. Anyway, he's the owner of the Brewers. Bernie Mac gets two more hits. He gets the first hit by sliding in the first, and his second hit is a home is run. Is a home run. Which I thought, it, that whole sequence felt like a dream. It didn't feel like it was real, because it was mm-hmm. so, so cheesy. Yeah. It was such <laughs> baseball, it's early 90s, or late 90s, early 2000s cheesiness, yeah. which was fine, because home runs are great, as we know. But he gets a home run. Not a rare occurrence in Miller Park there. That's <laughs> very just, true. Yeah. just pointed out. But he gets this home run, and so he's one hit away. And Mr. Big, the owner, he wants him to get the last hit at home because it will drive ticket sales through the roof. Right. So they're going on a road trip. Right. And so he does a press tour during the whole road trip. They bench him during the road trip. Literally. He doesn't even travel with the team. Right. He's literally doing an interview during a game. (laughs) Yeah. With the best damn sports show, period, guys. With Tom Arnold. And he's he's going on talk shows. He's going on sports. That's where the Roseanne joke is, by the way. What's the Roseanne joke, Paul? Do you want to? Roseanne. Hold on. Let's stop the podcast. Hold on. Let Do you want to play it? Do you want to just play this Roseanne joke? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could. We could. Uh, let me uh, read it and see if I want to write it. Where did I fucking put it? Oh, I didn't read. I didn't write it down. So, yeah, we're going to have to play it. Let's play the Roseanne joke. Let's listen to it. Listen, man, I hope you weren't listening to all the tracks we were talking about you before you hit your groove. Tom, you wouldn't even be where you are, wonderful Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Stan Ross. 
hilarious um amazing did you notice another tangent sorry listeners this episode is me four thousand hours three thousand hours uh you fixed it i fixed it it. i fixed it the first time we see tom ronald yeah is this actually pretty cool shot of bernie mac alone in his apartment he's watching the best damn sports show period yeah and like pans over and they're like in his living room like surrounding him talking shit about him which was pretty cool it was cool there there's a sort of circular uh, dolly track yeah in a complete circle around bernie mac and he's in focus and the background is all blurry but he's got they established that he's playing the show yeah. on tv and they're in the room with but him. then they're all talking shit about him but then they're sitting on the couches right, right next which to is him. pretty cool but did you hear what and tom what, arnold said uh no what he that? said he said this is like that one time that the white Sox put that midget on the team Oh, that's and right. then they were like, "You can't Ooh. say midget," and oh, he's like, yeah. "Oh," and there was this whole really problematic scene. But they're talking about Bill Veek. Yeah, they're talking about that thing we talked well, about on the Ed, on the fan Eddie, episode. Eddie Goodell. Yeah, Eddie Goodell. Yeah, uh, go back listen to our season one episode on the fan. We talk all about some of the the most wild stunts and promotions, uh, which w- would have worked pretty well. With yeah, hundred yeah, percent to to get fans back. But to he the said ballpark. that I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> Bill Veek was a famous promoter. He put in a dwarf a little person yeah uh for one at bat uh as a stunt and it became this kind of famous this whole thing yeah baseball history eddie goodell shout out buddy shout out yeah. um where were we <laughs> so the owner wants him to get the hit at, at home, home right so he goes and he does his whole press tour right. and he again is just super selfish yes that's again it, he forgets everything, everything he just in learned the movie is yeah so back and forth of <laughs> we spend 40 minutes of him learning to become a team player learning to become a leader yes he calls his extra practice and all that and then he's just like me 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 back on all the talk shows and it just, just like, oh, yeah okay I, sure I, I, and it kind of made sense but it just it didn't at the yeah. same time so the worst offense is that he sets up this extra practice for the team and then somebody it's not like an agent, but Boca. I guess it's Boca. Boca is like his Boca's weird his manager, de facto agent, manager. It's like you can go in the Jay Leno, you can go yeah, in the Tonight the Show, Tonight Show, but you have to go at nine a.m. Right, right when this he's the yeah. special practice. He's it's stupid. Yeah. So, Favorite part about him being on the Tonight Show, though, because he says yes, uh-huh. was Carmen Electra is there. It's the most dated scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Carmen Electra's there, and he's like hitting on Carmen Electra, and he's like, "Oh, baby, everybody says some things." And then Jay goes, "Oh no, I'm gonna have to call Dave." And then Carmen Electra holds up her ring, and it's a, ne- a reference to at the time Carmen Electra was uh, married to Dave Navarro, wow. the guitarist of Jane's Addiction. Insane dated reference that Crazy. means nothing now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're divorced. It was a really fun reference for me. Uh, Paul's sure. older than me. I don't remember this stuff. <laughs> I love pop culture. Big pop culture guy. Anyway, he also, oh, not just that he skips this practice, he set up with Angela Bassett an exclusive interview interview which he's already given her like like five times yeah Yeah. like every it's not that every time he's like how about an exclusive interview with me yeah she's like like, okay okay. like what it it was so stupid even even the special practice it was just a practice yeah anyway so he misses both of these things he misses both of them so she's angry with him they they meet up at the bar and she what does she do she she interviews she confronts him at the bar she's like where were you and he's like let's do it right now and And she's like fine and then she like just lets him have it on camera and then he goes back to the team for the game, and they're all pissed at him because because right, he misses fucking he practice, practice yeah. to be on the Tonight Show. And it's the last game; it's his last opportunity to get a hit. Right. So we see this last game. It's a pretty good game. 
I gotta say it's it's pretty exciting, and he yeah, he sure. misses twice. I mean, you're you're feeling this of I hope he gets the hit. He gets a long fly ball. Yeah, the pitcher's like, and it's against the. Is it the Astros again? I thought it was against the Giants. He did. There is a scene with the Giants. Hey, hey. Yeah. Um. So the t- pitcher's like, "You ain't getting your head off me." Yeah. He's like very adamant that he's not going to get it. So he's he pitches him outside. Right. Uh, Bernie Mac gets his long fly ball. Gets caught. He doesn't right. get another home run or anything. Um. But the team is losing also, yes. and this is the game that's going to decide the team's fate if they're in third place. Correct or not. A lot of stuff riding on the line. <laughs> So basically, what happens is T Rex bottom of the ninth. Yeah, it's bottom of the ninth. T Rex gets on base. I think if he had hit a home run, I think it was a tie game. Because if he had hit a home run, the game game would have been over. Yeah, it was a tie game. T Rex gets on base, and Bernie Mac was they put him in the cleanup spot that game. Right, so he would get an extra at bat. Right, so T Rex gets on base. I forget how it works. I think he like hits a double off the wall. He hits like a double and he steals run. third or something. Yeah. But so he's on third and Bernie Mac comes up. And again, the whole time they've been saying you're selfish. You never do anything for the team. Right. And he Even starts he kind of does that stupid team. movie trope of like, he can hear people in his head saying how selfish he was yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So instead of, so he's pitched to, right. and instead of swinging away, well, he's not pitched to for the first that's right. They, they pitch him outside. He's like, hey, pitch to me. Right. And the pitcher's like, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Which reminded me of the fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> Both pitchers be like, fucking pitch to me. Yeah. So they they try to pitch around him. Bernie Mac yells, and then they pitch to him. And what he does for the first time is he bunts. It's a sacrifice bunt. With two outs. Yeah. <laughs> so he bunts and... T-Rex makes it home right. to win the game, right. but he doesn't. But he only makes it home because they throw to first. And yeah. I'm just like, why would you? Th- it's the bottom of the ninth. The visiting Are there team. two outs? I don't think there's two outs. It doesn't matter if there's not two outs. The, the winning run is coming oh, in yeah, to score. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you ever throw to first? Because it's movies. Anyway, <laughs> so Bernie Mac sacrifices, walk-off he bunt. He does a sacrifice, walk-off bunt. He doesn't get his 3,000 For some reason, hit. he does not get credit as a hit, I guess, because they throw the first and he gets out. He, because the, he gets out, yeah. But then the run scores and it, it's the bottom of the ninth. So right. So, yeah, win. there must have not been two outs. must have been one out. Yeah. So they win and the team is really excited and you see he's he feels all this emotion. Right. Again, really good acting. Yeah. Uh, without really any lines. I impressed with Bernie Mac. Yeah. Um, no dialogue in this scene. You can just see mm-hmm. all the emotion of he knows that he did the right thing, but also he's shot at 3,000. It's gone. So it's this great moment, and the team is excited and cheering, and then they kind of welcome him over. And he throws the ball into the crowd. Yeah. It's like a nice a little nice mirror yeah. from the other scene. And then we see, we basically <laughs> jump ahead. He, he has it, was, whole... it would have been a perfect ending. It yeah. would have been an amazing time to end the movie. Yeah, they could have ended it there. <laughs> And but, then what happens is pretty insane. So Bernie Mac gives this whole voiceover monologue about how like, well, sometimes life just turns out like Yeah, he that. Start, there's a narrator and you're like, <laughs> okay, you haven't done this the whole movie, but okay, go on. And so we see this kind of flash forward of he's elected to the Hall of Fame, then on the next ballot, he like retires, which really, if he, if he comes back and then retires, it should be another five years until he's eligible again, right? That's a good point. I yeah. think so. But it's just like the next year. I mean, the whole just... movie is based on a clerical error yeah, yeah. by the <laughs> Hall of Fame, yeah. it does the, which is insane to begin with. So so they, they jump ahead. He's elected to the Hall of Fame. He opens an ice cream truck 
and he calls it Mr. 2999. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, right. And we see that Boca goes to Boca Raton. Yeah, yeah. Boca goes to Boca. With some supermodel, which was, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. So he goes in the Hall of Fame. Boca goes for some supermodel. Yeah. Um, he gets the Brewers a bunch of walkers and scooters yeah. as a gift, as I a, guess, which is funny, but not yeah. like a great gift. Yeah. And then, yeah, he's with, what's her name? Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett. He gets his own ice cream truck, which they had planted before. Yeah, he, he remembers being a little leaguer and hearing the ice cream truck right. in the background that while was his playing. That was his baseball so he, song. Yeah. So he does that. And then that's it, I guess. <laughs> oh, you don't want to say what actually happens? I don't... What, what are you... Referring How can to? you forget the best part slash worst part of the movie, Andrew? He's saying the voiceover and he's like... <laughs> He's like, and that's saying, you know, and sometimes life is all about happiness. And even though you're older, and as he's saying, even though you're older, you can still do things. The screen gets real fuzzy and it starts to look like we're watching a TV. It's weird. And it zooms out and you're watching. It turns out we're watching a TV. And he's like, even though you're older, you can still do what you want. Oh, and he turns yeah. to the camera and then a Viagra logo shows up. And Which it they, turns out, yeah, yeah, they had planted before that Boca asked him if he wanted to be this. The Viagra wanted to be the spokesperson. He's like, I'm he's not doing that. And coming back. And but yeah. now it is revealed that this whole epilogue has been a Viagra commercial. That's right. And the movie literally ends with Bernie Mac staring into the camera with this huge smile as he's about to have yeah. sex with Angela Bassett with the huge Viagra logo. The best the, the best times are ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me think like, has this move has this entire movie been a Viagra commercial? <laughs> so stupid. It was insane. <laughs> it would have been fine if they had ended at the game. It was so stupid but I forgot about it. That's why I didn't bring it up. It was, it like, was oh, insane. Yeah, that's right. By the way, Viagra commercial. So that's it. That's the movie. Mr. 3000. Mr. 3000 That's right. Yeah, he's not 3000. All right, let's review it. What do you think, Paul? Uh, you know, I I liked it more than I thought I was going to. I will huh. be honest. Yeah. Um, I think the 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 baseball in the movie like we were saying right. is really good. Yeah. Um, it's filmed well. And I think It's filmed uh, well. Yes. It's very clear what's going on. Mm-hmm. The, the tension's there. It's great. Uh I think I'm obviously a little biased. Because anytime a movie has what baseball that's portrayed really well, I'm <laughs> going to enjoy it re- yeah, yeah. regardless. But yeah, the movie definitely falls flat when it's not Bernie doing baseball things. When they're yeah. trying to force this romantic subplot yeah. into this movie. Oh, so forced. So just... forced. And I said, like I was saying earlier about how um, this movie um, constantly presents early 2000 tropes in hopes that... Uh, the audience will recognize it as good filming and be blinded by Bernie Mac's scorching charisma <laughs> and not see that nothing is earned in the movie. It's really not. It's a huge facade. It's really, it's all over the place is a big thing that I, I yeah. bumped on, I bumped on two things. The first one is it's really all over the place. Cause it's like Bernie Mac is selfish, but then when he comes back, he's the only one who thinks in a team mindset. So it's like, actually everyone else is selfish, but yeah, and so, but he's the one who is like, that's his fatal flaw. But then he's also the only one who brings the team together. And then when the team starts to rally, he's still, so it's just, it, it doesn't know what it's trying to do. It wants to be all the say. sports movies at if, once. Yeah. It felt like they were trying to like, it wants to be 3000 sports movies. <laughs> all that's at a once. good joke, Paul. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. It felt like they were trying to go scene by scene and just like how do we inject conflict into this scene well the rest of the team is shenanigans and and bernie Mac's the only one trying to rally them and they don't want to rally together and it's like okay that that kind of works on a scene 
level, but that sure. contradicts the character from the previous yeah. scene <laughs> and the scene before thing. that. Yeah, and it, it just it really work. felt like. I almost thought of like building blocks of like they put one down and then they're like, well, now we need a different color block. Like, right. Here's a yellow block. Here's a blue block. And it's just there's no coherence there's to the like whole thing. Three or four writers credited this movie. And I yeah. feel like that might have been it Probably. felt like a, a, a fifth or sixth rewrite where yeah. like some things were just lost. There were also a lot of other actors, I guess, attached to the script yeah. at one point. I read that John Travolta mm-hmm. and Denzel Washington were both attached at one point. And you got to think it would be a totally different just tone and feel and soul of this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. If one of those guys was in it, you know, so, I don't even know what that would have been like. Right. So you got to feel like, OK, they just like they kind of rewrote it for each actor that came in. And right. then Bernie Mac came in. And they're like, oh, you do your Bernie Mac comedy stuff in between. So it just it felt so cobbled together. It really did. The other thing that I really I really didn't like about this movie. Yeah. I really, but and again, I, I'm with you. I kind of liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah. I enjoyed it. The parts that I enjoyed, I really enjoyed. Bernie Mac is so great. Angela Bassett is he so is great. Wonderful, so it's yeah. just even, even like with. It made me really miss Bernie Mac. Yeah. Even with poorly written scenes, they're so yeah. wonderful and charismatic to just hang out with. Yeah. You know, totally. I, I enjoyed that. But the thing I really bumped on is in order to try and sort of shoehorn in some character growth for Bernie Mac's character, they make in real life, what's the really special thing of a player hitting 3000. Yeah. They make that the bad thing. Like that's, Mm. that's emblematic of his selfishness. Yeah. And they do this whole thing of, he needs to be more Uh, team oriented and he needs to, he needs to be not so selfish. So we want to the opposite of this new, new wave of like, let the kids play for sure. So they're like, we want, we're going to, they make this whole thing of, we want the team to get third place and that's going to show his character growth and all that. But here's the thing. Like I, I don't care about the team getting third place at all. No, like, like either on a movie level or on a baseball level, Mm -hmm. anyone would agree. The special thing is to see the old guy come back and get his 3000th hit. The team should have rallied behind the fact that he was trying to be a team player and then should have turned it and been like, okay, well, we're going to try to get your help. You get your hit. Yeah. I just, I wish that they didn't use that as the vehicle for, everything else because i'm sorry it's just stupid it's just stupid and it's like you can i i I, you know i've worked with different directors who have said to me you know and as a writer like you can make your characters unsympathetic you can't make them stupid (laughs) and that's just what i felt like i i understand technically it all works yeah you know of this is the the mechanism for which he's gonna grow as a character and show that he's not selfish anymore right but I no, I you you can't make this. You, they're working so hard to make the special thing seem like a bad thing. That's like no, you're wrong. Like if like the the owner, Mister Big, is right. Like the the season's shot, the season's lost. Yeah, fucking Let's make it all thing. about Bernie. Make him lead off every time, yeah. so he gets five at bats instead of four. Yeah, you know. So it just that kind of thing just didn't. It took me out of it because no, I agree. I felt disappointed at the end. Like, like nobody cares. Yeah, I wanted to see three thousand. Yeah, that's what that's what you want. And <laughs> oh, I we like, got third place. Yeah, like a, I think a better way to have done it is he gets the three thousandth hit, but mm-hmm. then doesn't 
like he he I don't know becomes the next manager or so totally works in the clubhouse. Speaking like, of managers, what a waste of a character. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the manager. Yeah. I just wish that he they they did something so that he goes back to the team at the end as opposed to yes instead of being an ice cream man going back to be an entrepreneur because yeah. that's what was emblematic. That was his whole beginning problem was being, money, was yeah, greed, was exactly. fame. And then he be, gets a Viagra commercial. He becomes yeah. a spoke like that didn't make any sense. He yeah. should have been the coach. Exactly. Because so, the coach sucked. Yeah, he should have he should have rediscovered his love of the team and then stayed with the team. Yeah. He got his accomplishment. He could have been a hitting coach or something. He got his accomplishment and it becomes about the accomplishment, not about the fame and money and everything Completely that it Completely contradicting him. the whole message of the movie. Yeah, exactly. So again, those two things of just it's all over the place and then they work so hard to to steer your emotions away from where they're naturally going to go of god i can't wait you know it made me think of it made me think of the end of Derek jeter's career where (laughs) like that last month because the yankees were out of it and they were just like fuck it we'll just let do Derek jeter let him do whatever he wants to yeah you know and so they you know he got that amazing hit as the end of great. his last hitting Yankee Stadium was so great. And then he still had two more at bats because they went to Boston on the road. Right. And he didn't play the field because he wanted his last game in the field to be at Yankee Stadium. Right. But he still got up to bat twice. They were and and literally if you go back and watch that video, um, the manager, Joe Girardi, mm-hmm. is just like, What do you want to do? Do yeah. you want to hit again? And he's like, Yeah, I'll hit again. And he's like, Okay. And then he gets on base. I think I don't know if he gets a hit or a walk or whatever, but he gets on first base. And Joe Girardi's like, What do you want to do? Do you want to stay there? Do you want to run? Or yeah. do you want me to put in there? He's like, Yeah, no, take me out. And he's like, oh, okay. And he gets his, you know, it, it should have been like that. Of just like, fuck the season, fuck the team. <laughs> like, it's about the special guy and the special accomplishment. Yeah, 3,000 totally. 3, hits. And again, I, whatever, it's a big studio mainstream comedy. But like, 3,000 hits is one of those special things. It's that incredibly special. Ab- yeah. Is above the game of, not above the game of baseball, but it's a baseball thing that's above the regular season. Right. Uh, competition of where we're going to. They could have had their cake and eat it too. They could have had him got 3000 hits and still learned his lesson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that would have been better instead of them working so hard to make that bad. 100%. Because it just doesn't, I don't feel it. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. I was just like, nah, nah, I'd rather him do it. Bernie's good. Yeah. Bernie Mac is great. You know, it it was wonderful to just spend an hour and a half hanging out with him. It was great to see that era of baseball that yeah. we grew up in loving, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I miss that era. Uh, Angela Bassett, like you said, is terrific. Right. Um, she has nothing to work with. Nothing. It was actually kind of a fascinating exercise to see, like, here's a wonderful actor <laughs> who's very skilled and talented. Yeah. Just having nothing to hang all that talent on. <laughs> just having no. Yeah. All her scenes are pretty much the same. The scenes scene. are lame. The lines yeah. are lame. And you can tell, like, like almost I would say like watch those scenes on mute and like her face is so expressive and oh, wonderful yeah. and the sparks between them were great it's yeah. just unearned and didn't make any sense to the movie yeah <laughs> I also felt like as great as Bernie Mac was yeah I felt like I wish that the I wish the whole thing was just a little more cohesive because he can oh, yeah he can be a great actor yeah um, and you look at I mean even something like Ocean's Eleven which is such a small role he's able to the the degree to which he's able to be a clown mm-hmm. and be a performing comedian mm-hmm. and also have these little moments like of pathos yes yeah, yeah. soul are 
really well done in that movie mm-hmm. in just a very small character yeah. in this big ensemble. And here you, they give him this great big stage and you, it should work. Like it should, it, it, it should be that times an hour and a half, but instead it just, they're like, okay, in this scene, be a clown. Like I felt the directing more than him. Yeah. Like in this scene, go over the oh, top yeah. being ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. In this scene, you're really sad right. in this scene. You really care about the team. And so he does it a, is- he does a good job at all those things. They just feel like, well, that's a different character than the one in the last scene. 100%. And it the felt, one in the next scene. It was definitely the direction of the script were just uh, not, not very good. Yeah. Just like if, if you're going to have some of these, like there's times when some of the characters are just cartoons. Like just make oh, it yeah. scary movie. Just put Leslie Nielsen in this movie and make it <laughs> just uh, you know, absurdist goofball comedy. Like it if wanted, you're gonna go that far, it wanted to be like I said, every sports movie at the same time. Yeah, and you know it just it kind sucks because it's flat. like yeah. again all these it's a it's a good story. You know it's a fun story. It's an incredibly. Uh, <laughs> like like the trailer it's like the log line itself is such a late to early 2000s <laughs> late 90s like movie yeah like these, these this movie would never get made today you yeah, know what i mean like that yeah. concept of just like a goofball he's gotta come back out of uh, retirement you know what i mean like that whole concept i disagree i don't know i think, you think that would be getting made today i think it's a perfect star vehicle for like that's that's a paper thin concept but you hang like a Kevin Hart or the rock or somebody on it. That's like true. I can one see Kevin Hart doing that. Now. One of these stars who can sort of carry a movie like that. And you know, I could see, I, it's I could fair. see it. I mean, the script, the script is dated. I mean, that's kind of what the, the concept Joe Magliano movie is about. That's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the concept is there. Yeah. It just, the script is dated and the jokes fall flat. And again, I mean, they're trying to do so many things. So many, things. you know, sometimes it's trying to be, they're juggling and not catching anything. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's trying to be a character comedy. Yeah. Sometimes it's trying to be a authentic sports movie. And sometimes yeah. it's just like with that scene with the kids, they work so hard to get in this joke. Bernie Mac is cursing in front of the children. And they just yeah. keep in a hit. They do like three okay. or four of them of that in a row where he says yeah. escalating curse words and it's like this is not funny it wasn't yeah. funny the first time yeah i mean i also think it again it's a big mainstream comedy you know they're what, what it's our, a disney what movie expectations really it's touchstone yeah wow but it's possible to do a baseball comedy that's has a lot of heart and soul and is really good with the baseball and is really funny yeah you know like you could have a Bull Durham or a League of Their Own version of this movie. Oh yeah, that it's, totally works. It's, it's it's in there. It's just and it's just yeah, they, the mark. they didn't execute it. They missed the mark about three thousand times. So, <laughs> three speaking of three thousand, I mean that should lead us into what do you think, Paul? The next portion of our show. So welcome back. If you skipped all the plot ahead. review, if you looked at the the notes, here you are. What do you think about Paul? Why don't we do some inside baseball? Baseball. Inside the movie. Oh, we still got we it. We got that. We nailed Season that two, one. we still got, we got it. it. We got it. Okay, so this movie is Mr. 3000. Yep. Let's talk about the 3000 Hit Club. Let's fucking do it. Let's talk about some of the greatest hitters of all time. That sounds like fun. All right. So I I went on kind of a deep dive for the 3000 Big Hit surprise. Club. Yeah. <laughs> I nerded out. Can mm-hmm. you believe it? Not at all. All right. In total, there are... Can I guess? Guess how many players are in the 3000 Hit Club. Let me guess. Let me guess. I, th- I came across. I th- Remember, baseball's been around for about 180 years. <laughs> I know it's 
it's more than I thought because I, I think I saw the number when I was researching, but it's less than I thought at the same time. Wow. So I think oh, it's like mind blowing. 30, 31? 32. Oh, so close. So close. There are 32 players in the 3000 hit club. That's uh, a lot, but it really is not. At the same time. It's true. It's, again, <laughs> 180 years, 32 yeah. guys. The, the 3000 hits mark indicates consistent performance over a long period of time. You got to be a good hitter for a long time to get 3000 hits, right? A position player who starts regularly in a season might typically get around 600 at bats. Okay. Five or 600 sure. at bats. But they're not hurt. A good hitter will bat safely and roughly 180 to 200 hits per year. So that's between a 300 and a 333 average, which obviously is a very good hitter. Since most players are only up for eight to 10 years at the major league level, and they usually decline significantly in their later years at the end of their career, only a player who remains healthy over a long period of time and performs at a high level can attain that into his late 30s. Right. 3,000 hits. Cap Anson was the first player to have 3,000 hits. Okay. His major league uh, at bat was on his his first major league at bat was on May 6th, 1879. <laughs> and he joined the 3,000 hit club. Uh, he was the inaugural member on July 18th, 1897. Holy shit. <laughs> right. So about a hundred and I don't know, 10 years before this movie came out. <laughs> They didn't even mention Cap Anson once. <laughs> <laughs> Nap LaHoy and Honus Wagner both reached 3,000 hits during the 1914 season. And then Ty Cop was the fourth sure, member of course. to hit 3,000 uh, in 1921. He's also the first player to reach 4,000 hits, which he did in 1927, which is amazing. Who Ty Cop got to 4,000? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's another. There's some yeah. trivia worked in for okay, this. This is a bit of a game for Sorry, you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm oh, do you have a thing? Do you want to read? No, no, no. Well, you had mentioned. Um, I'm holding paper. That's why Andrew looked at me like I was about to say something. Because <laughs> I was saying they didn't mention Camp Anson. Who's number two? Nap Lahoy. Nap Lahoy, and then Honus, Honus Wagner. Wagner was number three. But they did mention there was one line in the movie um, that I was like, "Oh my god, another real baseball thing." Oh where yeah. He was like, "Okay, Boca, I want to make a game called Hall of Fame Baseball," and I wrote it down, where I get a chance to hit against all those fame uh, Hall of Fame pitchers uh, that, that were dead before I was born, like Walter Johnson and Christy Matheson and that candy ass Cy Young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought goofy. that was a really fucking funny line. So anyway, okay. Ty Cobb was the fourth member of the 3000 hit club, which he reached that mark in 1921. Mm -hmm. And then he was the first player to reach 4,000 hits in 1927. Jesus Christ. There are a few more members of the 4,000 hit club. Are you going to make me guess how many? I want you to guess. There's one more who actually hit 4,000 hits in the major leagues. There's only two members of the 4,000. No asterisks or, or other right. qualifiers. I would assume Ichiro might maybe combined be in the 4,000 club. That's right. Ichiro, Ichiro hit 4,367 total, including his career in Japan. Right, but that's an asterisk. Only one Which, other player hit As we've talked about, we agree that it shouldn't be an asterisk. Completely agree. Okay. Ty Cobb and... I have no fucking clue. Uh, uh, not Barry Bonds. Nope. Um... Barry Bonds didn't even hit 3,000. I know. He's not even in that club. Will he- I'll give you a hit. Yeah. He has the most hits of all time. Oh. Ted Williams? P. 
Pete Rose. Oh, yeah, Pete Rose. 1984. No asterisk, but an asterisk. <laughs> Big asterisk. No asterisks on the hits yeah. in the major leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about Pete Rose. Sure. Ty Cobb was the youngest. Okay, back to the 3000 Hit Club. Mm-hmm. Ty Cobb was the youngest who achieved it at 34. Cap Anson was the oldest who achieved it at 45. That's insane. Yeah. Cap Anson played for like 25 years. That's crazy. It's nuts. Pete Rose did it in the shortest amount of time. It took him 15 years and 27 days to amass 2000 hits. Fucking crazy, dude. Ricky Henderson took the longest. I was going to guess Ricky Henderson. Guess how long it took Ricky Henderson to reach 3000 hits. 15 years. 28 years. 22 years, three months, 13 days. Dude. You should have gotten that to the day. Exactly. I really, in an hour and a second. Uh, Another guy who hit 3,000 is Paul Warner. Mm. When Warner reached 3,000 hits as a member of the Braves, he actually refused the honor initially, insisting he got an infield hit and he insisted that it was, um, it should have been an error, not awarded as a hit. Whoa. And so the remarkably, the score was like, Okay, and did it, and then Warner reached three thousand hits two days later on an undisputed base hit. Because he's like, "No, I'm not going he's down. Like, I don't want an error. I want to do it." <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Roberto Clemente, yeah, his yeah. career ended with precisely three thousand hits. Very tragically, he reached it on his last at bat, the last at bat of his career on September thirtieth, nineteen seventy two, and then of course he was killed in the plane crash during so the following sad. off season. Stan Ross wears the same number. That's right. Roberto. 21. Only one player. Stan Ross. It's pretty Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, who's Stan yeah, Ross? Yeah, who does that? <laughs> Only one player has reached 3,000 hits during the 1980s. That was Rob Carew in 1985. So he had a whole decade when okay. nobody else reached that milestone. Six players of the 32, in addition to 3,000 hits, they have 500 home runs. Paul? Guess who they are? Willie Mays. Yep. Three. How many? You said three? Six players. Hank Aaron. Yep. Albert Pujols. Is he in? Yeah. He's yep. got to be in there. Two more? Three more. Three more. Oh, fuck me. Um, Ricky <laughs> Henderson. Nope. Oh, fuck. Three. Oh, 500 home runs. 500 home That's runs. That's not going to work. Um, Ted Williams. Nope. Oh, fuck me. Uh, Ken Griffey. Nope. A-Rod. Alex Rodriguez. Ooh, okay. Yep. Two more. You're not going to get them. Okay. Who are the other two? Uh, Eddie Murray. Yeah, definitely was going to get that and one. And Rafael Palmero. Oh, okay. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> A couple other members of the 3000 Hit Club we haven't mentioned, just again, because to get these guys, get just their names out there. Them, sure, yeah. Yeah. Stan Musel, uh, mm-hmm. Carl Yastrzemski. Who they mention in the movie. They do mention him, and his They've, son's now on the Giants. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's his grandson. I think that age wise probably makes sense. Yeah. I think it's his grandson. Yeah. But they mentioned Bernie Mac says, you know, this is going to get me in the hall of fame. Like, you know, Carlos Stremsky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cal Ripken jr. Who achieved it after he stopped his continuous games played streak. Okay. Uh, he sat and then he got his 3000 home run a little bit later. <laughs> fucking, what a fucking cool guy. Tony Gwynn, oh. Dave, Dave Winfield, Craig Biggio, Ricky Henderson. Craig Biggio's in the 3,000 hit club, huh? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And Roberto Clemente. <laughs> Ty Cobb has the highest career batting average of all the guys with 367, which is amazing. How many hits does Ted Williams have, I wonder? We'll get there. Okay. Cal Ripken Jr. has the lowest career batting average at uh, 276. Okay. Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, somebody else we haven't mentioned, 3,000 hits, and Wade Boggs all hit a home run for their 3,000th. 
hit. Wow. Baseball, man. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Ichiro and Paul Molitor each hit a triple for their 3,000th hit. Wow. That's so perfect for Ichiro. It really is. Probably an infield triple. Craig Biggio. This mm-hmm. I read this, and I, I kind of don't understand it, but Craig Biggio was thrown out at second, attempting to stretch his 3,000th hit, which was a single, into a double. So I don't know if that counts yeah like he reached base but then he got thrown out so like that doesn't wow, count yeah. as a hit but uh, it does count as a hit because you you crossed first okay i think that's the rule so it counts as a hit but also he got out correct it's <laughs> that's 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 kind of shitty yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably why he got three thousand he's greedy yeah mm-hmm. aggressive uh, there's only one active player who has three thousand hits each year each are you kidding me i always think he's back no no Albert Pujols. Oh yeah, but he just did that. Yep, this season. Uh, it was it was 2018. Oh, it was May 4th, 2018. This season. Nope. Oh uh, wait, how many home runs does he have? He's trying to get to. Oh yeah, he's he'll get to 600 this year. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 No, 3,000 hits was May 4th, 2018. Last year I went to an Angels game and he was at like two nine like 97 oh that's cool. and so there was like there was like a small chance of like yeah. i fucking see 3000 oh, today okay. it didn't happen he didn't, get, <laughs> he didn't get any hits uh the writer josh fagian wrote that 3000 hits has long been quote has been quote long considered the greatest measure of superior bat handling and is often described as a guarantee of eventual entry into the baseball hall of fame so that's pretty accurate for this movie. Yeah. If there's one thing you're going to do that's like, no matter what, I'm going to get into the Hall of Fame. 3,000. Pretty much it's been 3,000. Become Mr. 3,000. All eligible players with 3,000 or more career hits, with the exception of Rafael Palmero, hmm. whose career was tainted with steroid allegations, right, have right. been elected to the Hall of Fame. Wow. P. Rose is ineligible because mm-hmm. of his ban from baseball. Because of that big old asterisk. Rafael Palmero failed... Uh, but he could get in if he's elected by the Veterans Committee, but he failed to make the ballot from the writers in his initial run. Right. Uh, and then a couple of guys who have done it are not eligible yet. Derek Jeter, who will be eligible in 2020. Adrian Beltre has 3,000 hits, uh, but he just retired. God, he's the best. Alex Rodriguez will be uh, eligible in 2022. That's a very interesting case. We'll, we'll see. see what happens. Uh, and each row... Well, I have no idea because he came back and played two games in 2019 yeah. in the Japan Series. So I, yeah, is it another five years? I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Uh, the closest players to miss the cut, Sam Rice, retired with 2,987 hits. Oof. What a shame. Oof. And then we mentioned a couple huge names who don't have 3,000 hits. Mr. Barry Bonds. You can believe it. Barry Bonds has 2,935 2,935? Yeah. So if he plus. played another season, then clearly. He would have gotten it. Clearly. And at that point, he, what, he would have been He would have gotten it in five games. 100%. <laughs> uh, Ted Williams does not have 3,000 hits, who missed a lot of time. I was about time. to say, yeah. He missed, he missed like almost a decade of his career for between his service for World War II and the Korean War. It's crazy. Uh, he had 2,654 total hits. <laughs> So he clearly Crazy. would have gotten there. Oh, yeah. And Babe Ruth, 2,873 total hits. Mm. He does not have 3,000. Wow. Uh, there are three players. Is the beer. <laughs> there are three active players who have a shot, have a legitimate shot of getting there. Active uh, the three active players. Tr- with the guess? closest, yeah, the closest totals to 3,000. Right now. 
Yeah, playing right now in not like on pace to perhaps maybe not necessarily on pace, but they are within spitting distance. And in fact, mm. I think don't quote me, but I think they're the only three players with at least two thousand hits. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. there's a bunch of guys with you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred, something like that. But mm. oh, I don't know, McCutcheon. No, that's good. That's a good guess. Um, He's not old enough. Yeah, they're older guys. Older Who's who are still older? older guys who are playing. Give me a team. Give me one team. The Detroit Tigers. Oh, Cabrera. Yep. Miguel Cabrera has 2,757. Okay. And he's going to play till yeah. for a while. Yeah. His contract is still like till he's 40 or something. I feel bad for that guy. Uh, the New York Mets. Oh, um, uh, 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 fuck. That's it. He's the guy. He's Mr. Met. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Matt does not have to. Who? Who are you thinking of? It's got to be uh, the fucking, the, he's your guy. Oh, fuck. You suck at that. Just say his name. Robinson Cano. Oh, Cano. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. Robinson Cano has 2,525 mm-hmm. hits, and he's got a very long contract for the Mets. <laughs> sure. Still to go. Uh, and then Nick Markakis on the Braves. Oh, okay. Yeah, he has 2,321. Trout's going to do it. I'm sure Trout's gonna do. I wonder it. how many he has now. Yeah, I. Yeah, because there's no way he's not. Like, yeah, that guy completely just agree. hits. That's yeah, all he does. That's all he does. Nick Markakis is a pretty underrated player. Yeah, he has. A, he doesn't hit a lot of home runs at all, but he just has a great plate discipline and right. he gets on base. He's uh, <laughs> he's a money ball all star. <laughs> there we go. So that's the three thousand hit club. That was great. I loved it. Pretty good players. Yeah, there's some players obviously that we didn't mention, but you know. They'll be fine. Yeah. They'll, they'll get over they're it. They're, they're all in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. What, do you, what do you want? They're not listening. All right. Do you want to tell me about some comebacks, Paul? Yeah, I'll do my little fucking thing. thing. Okay. So, during this movie, yep. a couple of things I was thinking of. Yep. Obviously, I want to talk about if this has ever happened before. Sure. Um, An old player coming back. Comeback. Right. Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to know was who who's the oldest player to hit a home run? Because at oh. one point when he hits that home run, like, he is now the oldest player to ever hit a home oh, run in the major leagues. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to guess. Okay. Uh, I mean, set it up, but I want to... <laughs> like, like, start to tell me about it, but I want to guess. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. I just did this whole I'll game the... for you. I want to guess some stuff. Um, and so, it's, that's very true. I'll yeah. let you guess some things. Um, so... Comeback wise, there's there's definitely a, there's, like there's some good ones. Okay. Andy Pettit, for example, came yeah, back. That's um, right. Rich Ankeel converted after being a pitcher to an outfielder, had a pretty good career. Mm. Um, but there's one there's one comeback that could have been like the coolest Hollywood story, Ooh. and then it just fucking wasn't. So Sounds I'm gonna like talk this about movie. that. <laughs> Kinda, like... yeah. So Jim Palmer. Okay. Everyone know Jim Palmer yep. class? Um, Jim Palmer is a famous pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Here are some fun stats about him. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> three-time Cy Young, six-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, four-time, four-time Gold Glove winner, and two-time uh, ERA title winner. So That's a pretty good career. Pretty good. He's a pretty <laughs> good player. You could do worse than that. Um, <laughs> in the spring of 1991, seven years after he retired, age 45, wow. Jim Palmer attempted to come back to the MLB. Wow. Now, keep in mind, Palmer... Literally seven months before the spring of 1991, he was had just gotten into the Hall of Fame. Like, he just got into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Pretty much the opposite of Mr. 2000. Was he a first ballot? Do you know? I, I mean, I, I, I don't, but I'm so. assuming, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, but so one of the so reasons... in the Hall of Fame. Literally in the Hall of Fame. 
and he's like i'm gonna fucking come back <laughs> so amazing. at the end of evidently the end of his career was uh publicly not really that amicable 1984 season he had gotten off to a terrible start and by may he was struggling with an 0-3 record and a 9.17 earned run average yeah. and the club asked him to retire to voluntarily retire and he was wow. like no i'm not fucking doing that and so they released him right wow super yikes yeah so that's kind of i mean we see shades of that today of, that happens you know, that happens these these guys who sign these like albatross contracts like alex rodriguez yeah. it's like look man mm, you're we'll fucking just, old dude we'll just pay him the money and get the yeah. out of here um but that same year that he was retiring, he had actually, a couple of years prior, he had been doing postseason uh, announcing, like commentating while he was playing. Yeah. And he was pretty good at it. So as soon as he retired, he pretty much leapt into this year of broadcasting, okay. or this career of broadcasting, and, cool. he was, and he was good at it. But then years later, 1990, the year before he attempted to come back, uh, there was this article in the LA Times where about he, how he has always been thinking about coming back. Mm. And he was quoted as saying, I don't see any reason why I couldn't consider pitching again. I don't see my reflexes as being that much slower, which I added that quote because in the movie, there is a scene where there's this random bar guy at his oh, bar. Yeah. Like, he just drops a, wa- a, a bottle of beer after Bernie Mac has been talking about coming back. And they're like, what the fuck did you do that for? He's like, it takes 0.4 seconds to recognize a fastball, the same speed to, to catch a beer bottle before hitting the ground. Yeah. And then they like do this thing where he does it again and Bernie catches it like right yeah. at the last second, but it's like cracked. Anyway, I thought that was funny because it's like the same like idea. My reflexes are still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that coupled with the unceremonious departure from the MLB really fueled his comeback. So the next year, Palmer was invited to spring mm-hmm. training. Wow. The Orioles saw it as like a no-lose situation because if he's great, then sure. like, great. You have a great pitcher. If he's not, then it's Why people not? will it's come. Training. Who and then he's around all these young pitchers. They can teach him a lot sure. of shit, right? And of course, the media had a field day. Everyone was rooting for him. It was it was a it was a, a zoo. It's a great story. 100%. I mean, it's yeah. a great. Again, that's the thing about this movie is like that's a good enough story on its own. It doesn't like, need all the other stuff. You don't need all these. No. You don't need to twist it into this like stupid slapstick comedy or this just, romantic movie. Uh, yeah, it just just tell that story. It's a fun baseball story. Right, and then like you said. It's a great story. Everybody gets on board. Everyone, Everyone's rooting for him, including his manager, Frank Robinson, who was also his ex-teammate. Like, wow. they were literally teammates when he played. Yeah. So, his first appearance was two innings in an intra-squad game, and it didn't go that well, but everyone was like, the wind was really crazy. Every pitcher did terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, and he's also 45, so it was his first time pitching at that point for the first time in like seven years. Whew. So, his first actual comeback debut was against a real team. It was in March 11th, 1991 against the Red Sox. Um, and this is a quote from an article uh, for Gulf Coast fans. It instantly became the most anticipated game on the Grapefruit League schedule on game day. <laughs> old McKenney Field was sold out with with nearly everyone in the crowd to, of 5000 there to encourage and cheer number 22. So everyone was ready for the movie. Everyone was like, this movie is going to be the best fucking Hollywood story we've ever seen. And even steroid <laughs> era hero himself, Roger Clements, because <laughs> he was there, right? They were playing the Red Sox. Yeah. He came over to the bullpen when he was warming up and like was like, good luck. We're all rooting wow, for you. That's awesome. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Everybody gets on board with a story the like this. Fuck, yeah, who doesn't want this to happen? Well, his body evidently didn't want it to happen because oh. he did horribly. He threw 38 pitches, 19 of which were balls and many, oh, uh, which are like all the balls that were strikes or outs were hit extremely hard. Yeah. And besides the lack of speed on his fastball, he was wild high. His curveballs were hung. And while warming up, 
while warming up, he injured his right hamstring. Oh, jeez. Um, so overall, he allowed two runs on yeah. five hits and in two innings, and that's that's all she wrote. Uh, and after the game, he told the media, "quote It's been a fun experience. The fans have been great." Asked if this would be his last comeback, he said. I would think so. Let's hope so. Yeah. I had breakfast with Frank this morning and he asked, are you sure? And I said, no, I'm not, but my leg is. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, here you got his happy ending. Yeah. He's literally already in the Hall of Fame. That's true. Um, so at he, least he attempted. You know, that's cool. He never reached 300 wins uh, as some of his com- uh, contemporaries, but he has a lifetime 2.86 ERA, which is second only to Sandy Koufax wow. among the 1960, post-1960 pitchers. Yeah. Wow. Which is fucking... <laughs> It sucks, but also at the same time makes sense. Yeah. Right? Totally. Okay, so that's Jim Palmer. The other thing I want to talk about Ooh. is the oldest man to hit a home run. Oh. Now, this fucking guy, I didn't really know much about him. And you might know about him in the late career because of the Mets. Mm. Do you know the name Julio Franco? Mm, no. <laughs> Neither did I really before reading this. This fuck okay, just you could this is insane. Okay. Oh boy. Julio oh boy. Franco was born in the Dominican Republic in nineteen fifty eight. Go listen to our episode about sugar. We talk all about baseball in the Dominican Republic. Hundred yes, do it. Played baseball as a youth in the Dominican. In nineteen seventy eight, he was signed to the Phillies uh, organization in nineteen eighty two, made his MOB debut to the Phillies. Okay. Now just remember that year, nineteen eighty two. Nineteen eighty two. As we keep going, remember that. Franco would then go on to have a great career in the MLB. He had over 300 in every season from 1986 to 1989. Uh, he eventually went to the Rangers. And the Rangers, he made the All-Star team three years in a row, 1989, 1990, 1991. Mm. 1991, Franco had his two uh, had his only 200-hit season and won the American League batting title. His 341 average was nine points higher than fucking Wade Boggs was that year. Wow. In 1992, knee injury limited him to 35 games, and Franco later said that that injury uh, helped him realize the importance of taking care of his physical condition. Put another asterisk next to that. Remember that quote. In 1994, Franco had hit 20 home runs for the only time in his career and was on pace to reach 100 for uh, runs batted in, uh, but the remainder of the season was canceled due to the 94-95 baseball strike. Oh, no. Um, so he couldn't do it. And then in December of that year, Franco signed to play with, uh, in Japan with the Chiba Lot Marines okay. in the Japanese Pacific League. Because he wanted to keep playing because he's incredible, right? Chibalot that year had the best season in its history in 1995, and Franco won the Japanese equivalent of the Golden Glove, uh, Golden Glove Award at the first base. Okay. After the 95 season in, uh, in Japan, Franco signed with the Cleveland Indians, where he batted 322, 76 RBIs, and played in his first postseason. In 98, Franco was back in Japan playing for Chibalot. The following year, at age 40, if you're keeping track numbers-wise, <sighs> wow. he returned to North America to play in the Mexican League and had a 423 average in 93 games. Wow. After tearing it up in Mexico City that year, Franco earned a job with the Braves. The Braves were like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's, let's sign Sorry, this guy. Why not? Yeah. yeah. He was 43 when they signed him at this point. <laughs> Incredibly, Franco wound up playing in the majors every year from 2001 to 2007. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Racking <laughs> up 1,618 plate appearances with the league average 100 uh, OPS plus. He suited up for the final time as a 49-year-old. For the 2007 Braves. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. Franco had been the oldest player in the major leagues from 2004 to 2007 and was the last active player who was born in the 1950s. Oh my gosh. Okay. And this is where I finally get to my my stat. 40, oldest player to hit home run. 49? Yeah, still dude. Playing? It's fucking oh crazy. Gosh. Um, on May 4th, 2007, 48-year-old Julio Franco... <laughs> 
homered into the swimming pool of Chase Field. Oh my gosh. Against 43-year-old Randy Johnson. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Which is combined for the oldest homer off uh oldest pitcher combo of all time. Of course, clear, clearly. <laughs> There's nothing better, but never going to be broken But either. that is the oldest uh uh home run. Wow. The oldest 49. That's home. 2 years older no, 48, than 48. 48. That's a year older than Stan Ross in this movie. Yeah, right. Stan um, Ross being Bernie Mac. Also, in that same game, he stole a base. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> in a post game in a post game interview, he revealed that the secret to his longevity, and this is that thing I was talking about earlier with uh, him being aware of his body, was quote, I worked out. Anybody can lift weights. Quote. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. Um, He's not wrong. Now here's the crazy part. When I say that he became the oldest player to hit a home run, okay. if you look at the list of the twenty five oldest players to do it, yeah. Like in order. He is 20 of those people. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So, like, he, at 25 is like Ricky Henderson, and then it's, yeah. and it's him at age 44, and then it's him at age 44, yeah. and then it just keeps going. And eventually, there's like... Um, it's it's just because he keeps getting older. Because he keeps getting older, and he kept hitting home runs. That's amazing. It's insane. Um, but that's here's, wild. Here's some other crazy stats, real quick. Franco was the oldest player ever to hit a Grand Slam, age 46. Wow. He's the oldest to hit a pinch home run at 47. Wow. He's uh, the oldest to hit two home runs in one game at forty at age 46. Oh, my God. He's the oldest to steal two bases in a game at 45. <laughs> On July 29, 2006, against the Atlanta Braves, Franco became the oldest player ever to pinch run at 47. <laughs> On September 19th. What? I know, dude. It's crazy. On September 19th, 2006, a day after the Mets clinched the division title, Franco started at third base in a game against the Marlins. This was Franco's first start at the position since his rookie year, marking 24 years between starts at the position. Did the fans just, like, love him? He was a fan favorite wherever he went. Yeah. How could you not? Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. And he played against at least one pitcher who faced Ted Williams. Oh my God. Jim Cat pitched to Franco in 1982 and also to Tim Will- Ted Williams at the beginning of Cat's career. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fucking crazy? That's amazing. Um, but wait, there's more. Oh my God. Uh, on no. February 8th, 2015, what? Ishikawa, what? million stars uh, of the professional Japanese, Japanese Independent Baseball League, um, announced no. that Franco had been signed as no. a player manager for the 2015 season. Franco said that he did not think he would appear often as a player, but 14 games into the season, Franco had played in 10 games. <laughs> and there's, there's this really good article I read by uh, Michael J. Mooney uh, on ESPN. Uh, he went to Japan and stayed with him and like interviewed him. It's actually a really cool article about okay. his life and like his perspective on things. What's it called? What's the title of the article? Uh, it's, I think it's literally like Julio Franco still wants to play baseball or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael J. Mooney, look that up. Where you go, he goes in, but there's a game where he attends where Franco put himself in, and he went two for four, and they won the game three oh to nothing. And at this point, he's what he was like in his 50s. 2015. He was 57 years old. Oh my. <laughs> uh, last year, 2018. No, no, yeah, dude, no. Julio Franco turns 60 years old. He's not playing anymore, but he's currently coaching a lot Giants affiliate in Korea. Um, and as you may have guessed, he hasn't ruled out the idea of making a comeback. According to Sung Min Kim, who's evidently a South Korean actor, I guess they're friends, Franco still lists five times per week and hinted he could happen at any time. Quote, he repeats it. If I tell you that I'm going to play in the majors again at the age of 60, would you believe me? Franco beams and follows that by saying that he believes he can. But do you believe me? Quote. <laughs> uh, over I'm a period, speechless. Listen to this last fact. <laughs> Over a period of 30 plus years, Franco has played 
for the Phillies, Indians, Rangers, White Sox, Japan's Chiba Lot Marines. This is an order. Indians, Brewers, Mexico's Mexico City Tigers, Korean Samsung Lions, Braves, Mets, Braves, Indy League, Fort Worth Cats, and Japan's Indy League Ishikawa Million Stars. Oh, my gosh. And one of my last fact that I <laughs> really love, he went in a homer with his grandson in attendance. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that fucking crazy? That's amazing. I had never heard of this guy. And he turns out to be one of the coolest people I've ever known about baseball wise. That's incredible. I was trying to think of like, who would we want to see attempt something like this? Yeah. It's this guy. It's this guy. <laughs> it's clearly this, this guy. fucking guy. Who who would do it? Maybe the Mets would do it. The Sign Mets. Him? Yeah, they need something. For, for exactly the same. You know who's number two the on movie. the list? For the same circumstances of the movie. No, they should, like, first September call-ups. They should bring up yeah. Tim Tebow, and they should sign this guy to come back. Fuck it. Fuck it. Why not? Why not? You know who's number two on the list of oldest players that hit a home run? Who? Barry Bonds. Bartolo Colon, baby. Oh, yeah. He was 42 when he did it. He was, when he was still playing, he was the last active and when I say, he was the last active player to be born in the uh the 20th century. Right, that's crazy. <laughs> that's wild. That's fucking crazy. Or 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 played during the 90s. No, yeah, not no, cuz everybody, yeah. People players born in like 1990, 1991. Now. Right, right, right. He was the last active player, my bad. To have played in the to have played in in the 20th century. That's fucking Bonkers. Yeah, because I think I think it was something like Albert Pujols made his debut in the oh, early two sure. thousands. Right, yeah. So two thousand one, you know, that's crazy. Not two thousand one, but something like that. Right. Pujols and Cabrera were the earliest guys, and right. they were the early. They were like around when this movie came out. And when I say that Bartolo is number two on that list, I really mean he's like ten because it's because <laughs> Julio Franco, Julio Franco, Julio Franco, Julio Franco, and then Bartolo. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was trying to think like again. We have the situation now where a lot of these guys, because they sign these giant contracts, yeah, they sort of stick around long enough to to kind of get in this category. Mm-hmm. So Bartolo Colon is not playing as of this podcast. That always might change every year. Oh yeah, there's <laughs> but, videos of him working out, right? But the um, you know, Bartolo Colon or or Ichiro has been around this whole time. Yeah. You know, A Rod from a couple of years ago. You know, they hang on and they become part time players and right. you know, only pinch hitters and stuff like that. But I was trying to think of like who would we love to see if they you know announced now like they retired ten Honestly, years ago. Barry Bonds. Yeah, it was like Barry Bonds or Greg Maddox retired in twenty uh, two thousand eight. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Or Griffey if, maybe. Yeah, if they said like I'm gonna try and bucket come back for a month and just see. You know what they should do? They should be like, we're gonna let him do steroids. He he's the <laughs> only one. Whoever comes back, let they get the pass and let's see what happens. Amazing. I mean, he would hit. All the home runs into McCovey Cove. <laughs> I would love to see. Just, it would be really Barry Bonds's. It would be incredible to see. Oh him yeah, he could still do try it. Try and come back. His I bat love, speed's probably still there. Sure. Well, you, I mean, you even hear stories about. So Sandy Koufax goes to Dodgers spring training every year and yeah. talks to the young pitchers and all right, that. Right. Yeah. And you see, you know, he will occasionally get up on the mound and still throws like eighty. That's insane. That's nuts. That's <laughs> you know. All right. Let's move on. So there's. Uh, another segment that we want to talk about, which is baseball women reporters. Yeah. Um, Mo, Angela Bassett plays Mo Simmons, mm-hmm. who is the love interest in this film, but she is a reporter for ESPN covering this story. Right. Which I really wish they made more of because that's, I feel like they didn't realize how cool of a, 
uh, position she's in. Totally, I yeah. Guess. So we're gonna again if do they it. just planted, <laughs> they just planted her in the first act. I feel like they didn't appreciate. She should have been there when they were interviewing at the when he totally. when he quit at the beginning. Yeah, and then yeah. she could have been like, "Why are you quitting?" He's like, "I'm fucking done," and they yeah, could have yeah. had a whole thing. Hundred percent. And it could him leaving baseball could have represented him leaving her because he's not going to see her anymore. You know, for sure. Anyway, it's fucking. We fix every move. But so they didn't appreciate it. We are going to make people appreciate what a special position it is. And obviously, we love any excuse to be able to talk about women in baseball because those aren't stories that are widely told. Speaking before you get into it, speaking of women in baseball, did you hear in this movie when they're in the dugout, there was a line of the in at Miller Park. They played a line of the verse from Take Me Out the Ball Game before the before the chorus. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. So it. they play. It was like the. um. And Katie, Dupu, whatever the five. Katie Casey was baseball. Yeah, they, I could hear that. They, they were yeah, playing it, and I was like, awesome. "Oh my god!" I that's went. Cool. I meant to research. I didn't. I, I wanted yeah. to see if Miller Park maybe plays the, the, the whole thing. Yeah, but maybe it's probably just some sound editor. Put if it you in. have no idea what Paul's talking about, <laughs> go back and listen to episode two of season one on "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." It's a Gene Kelly musical from the from nineteen forty nine. A part of that inside baseball, we talk about the origins of the song "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," which is actually kind of a feminist anthem. Which is, yep. if you're surprised as we are, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but go back and listen and check it out. But okay, so let's talk about women journalists in baseball. Let's do it. So I'm going to give a little bit of a history, and then we're going to do one of our favorites. We're going to do a top five, and and list okay. five five of the best. But here's an extremely abbreviated history of of women. Baseball very reporters. Ready. So I found a lot of this online in sort of two primary sources that, that do a good job of kind of chron- chronicling this. The, I'm sure there are more. There are a lot of think pieces that were written, but two good places that if you want to check these out, definitely go and read more. There's a, a woman who wrote a master's thesis paper in 2009. Her name is Sarah Ellen Swanson okay. about women in sports journalism kind of during the 20th century. Okay. So sort of. 1993 and and before that yeah yeah. so it's called women in sports journalism it's online go check it out and also sarah we hope you got your masters <laughs> you're working <laughs> hard uh, another great resource uh susan fornoff wrote a book called lady in the locker room about her time covering the a's and also women chronicling women in baseball okay. women journalists in baseball cool so those are two resources you want to go and check it out so Historically, just to give some context, Mm -hmm. historically, the baseball beat is considered like the prime assignment in all sports journalism. Yeah. Okay. So like, again, during the 20th century, you'd have your sports staff, the best reporter, they wanted the baseball beat. Sure. That's what you put them on because baseball was obviously the most popular sport for most of the 20th century. And also there are so many fucking games. I was about to say, it's very long. Yeah. Yeah. So you you need a good reporter because that's daily content as opposed to football is once a week. So women were obviously not often given this assignment because sexism, (laughs) but also, you know, that little thing, but also most teams had either a written or an unwritten policy banning women from the locker rooms some some right. said no women in the locker rooms some said you know well obviously we just don't do it it's just right. not written anywhere uh so what women w- when they're finally started to uh emerge baseball beat writers who were women they would have to wait outside and usually they would not get quotes so the the reporter the men reporters would go in the locker room and the player would say oh this is how i felt during the game and blah 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 and he would do it for all these reporters gathered around so they'd all get that same quote from that player right and then 
the women were waiting outside and it's like, well, I don't want to go out and like give my interview again because I just gave it to right, 98% of the reporters here. So they would just leave and then the women just didn't have a quote. Ugh. Obviously, there are a lot of stories of some players would go out and talk to the women or, or repeat, you know, go and repeat their quotes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most women just didn't have quotes from the players for their for their beat writing articles. Dang. Okay, so to jump back a little bit, women have basically been covering sports since the 1890s, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. In 1924, Margaret Goss began writing the first sports column. 1924? 1924. Uh, well, they, the first beat writer was in the 1890s. Okay. Who we'll talk about a little bit. But in 1924, Margaret Goss began writing the first sports column written by a woman to appear on a regular basis. Cool. Jump ahead a little bit. In 1972, we passed Title IX, right. which says that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in or be denied the benefits of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity right. receiving federal financial assistance. So basically, if you're doing anything education or activity-wise and you get financial assistance, you got to let women do it too. Because of Title IX, we started to see a lot more women's sports programs Mm -hmm. and women active in sports programs. And so we also, you follow those breadcrumbs, you see more women in sports journalism. Right. Covering women's sports, but then also starting to cross over and cover the men's sports too. 1978, we have Melissa Ludke, who is a reporter for Time Magazine. She's denied access to the New York Yankees locker room following a World Series game in 1977. And there was a, because of the unwritten rule, no one right. in the locker rooms. So she and Time Magazine sued the Yankees and really the commissioner of baseball, whose name was Bowie Coon. Oh, wow. And they won. His name was Bowie Coon? Yeah, what a name. That guy deserves to get sued. He sounds sued. like a Bond villain. That's insane. <laughs> uh, so they sued the Yankees, but That's really great. this policy was instituted by Bowie Coon, who felt that it was disrespectful to have right. women in the locker rooms and degrade the game. Yeah, piece of crap, right. Exactly. So they sued the Yankees. They won, which we'll talk about more. Awesome. And that kind of was like opening up the floodgates for allowing more women to have access. So then obviously more women could take that job. Right. So that's sort of the history of... of (laughs) (laughs) You haven't even gotten to the top five. Okay. Yeah. So then, then of course, you know, um, the next commissioner, his name is Peter Ubroth. Difficult names, dude. Yeah. Anyway, he was the next commissioner of baseball. He instituted a policy that said women have to have equal access to locker rooms. So then they did. But of course, you know, the next problem is now that they have access to locker rooms, men are sexist pigs. Right. And they faced all right. kinds of just harassment and abuse. I read, I read oh, countless stories of just like men flashing women, throwing jock straps in their faces lewd comments trying to get women to touch them touching the women all these just terrible incidents of course Yikes. that that are going to happen Ugh. so you had a, a lot of women wanting to leave sports reporting because of the abuse that they yeah, faced of course by players and fans too and at first many women kind of didn't speak out about all the abuse that they faced mm-hmm. because they just wanted to you know, not get into trouble, basically. Yeah. Keep their head down, do their job as best they can, and just kind of take it. But then, of course, I mean, like we've seen with Me Too now, they realize, oh, if we start to speak out, right. then if nothing else, other women in the same situation will realize we're in the same boat. Right. I'm not alone. I'm I'm facing the same thing as everyone else in my industry, so we're kind of in this together. At right, least. right. And then, of course, now 
hopefully that happens. Hopefully. Not at all. You know, <laughs> hopefully now things have changed. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> it yeah. seems like we've learned that they haven't. Yeah. Anyway. You hope to make progress. Top five. The top five. So let's talk about the top five. Okay. Women. Sports, In no particular baseball. order. Not really. Kind of okay. chronologically, okay. I guess. I'm ready. Five that you should know about. Hit me. Okay. The first woman you should know about is Sadie Neller Miller. According to the Association for Women in Sports Media, Sadie Neller Miller was the first known woman to cover sports for a newspaper ever. That's awesome. She reported on the Baltimore Orioles in the in the 1890s. <laughs> so, you know, again, good for Sandy. Yeah. Uh, I like that she has three names. Now that okay, so that's a good segue. Her oh. stories were by she had so much success because she disguised herself as a man. Oh shit! And her stories were bylined SKM to hide oh. her gender because Sadie Neller Miller is obviously a woman. Dang! I read that she would disguise herself as a man. I don't know if that just means the byline the, of her stories or if she would actually dress up as a man to go to the games. <laughs> I, I really looked because that would be kind of amazing. I need to see that movie. Could, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh right? my God. I couldn't find it, so I don't know, but she did disguise herself as a man, at least in some sense of the words. Sure. After her identity was found out, she was called the only woman baseball reporter in the country. Hmm. She was also one of the first journalists ever to combine photography with her stories for print in the newspaper. So, Get the fuck yeah, out of here. She's, uh, she was a pioneer, not just because she was a woman, wow. but she was doing all this cool stuff. I was wow. like, oh, you know what? I guess I can take a picture and then we're printing it out. So <laughs> I feel like that would help. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. So she, uh, obviously baseball works very well. Right. Tell me photography too, because it's much slower. <laughs> so you can actually develop the picture. She later covered the Spanish American war, which made her the first known woman war correspondent. As well, not just baseball writer. Wow. Uh, she covered the inauguration. That's of, how old this was. <laughs> yeah. She covered the inauguration of William Howard Taft. The, uh, she covered the Baltimore Fire. Wow. And she photographed portraits of Susan B. Anthony and Teddy Roosevelt. You're blowing my fucking mind right now. Sadie Neller Miller. You're our first woman on our Dang. top five. That's we incredible. We salute you because that's awesome. Yeah. She was a real pioneer. Wow. Super cool. All right. Number four. All right. Number 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 four or number two? Number four. Next one. Oh, sorry. Who knows? We're not. Thank you. Next. <laughs> next up, we've got Melissa Ludke. We've talked about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. You can follow her on Twitter at Melissa Ludke. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-L-U-D-T-K-E. Okay. A lot of these women, not Sadie Neller Miller, obviously, but a lot of these women are on Twitter. You should go check them out. Melissa Ludke worked for ABC Sports and Sports Illustrated, and she was the plaintiff, as we said, in the federal lawsuit. Melissa Ludke and Time Inc. plaintiffs v. Bowie Kuhn, Commissioner of Baseball, in 1978. And that lawsuit is credited with giving equal access to Major League Baseball locker rooms for women's sports reporters. It's a huge, wow. it's a huge deal in the whole history of women's sports journalism. It's literally opening the floodgates yeah. to to let women have access to be able to do the job. Insane! Wow. Uh, in 1977, uh, she sued the baseball commissioner on the basis that her 14th Amendment rights were violated when she was denied access to the New York Yankees clubhouse while reporting on the 1977 World Series. She won that lawsuit. Her and uh, Time Magazine. The United States District Court of the Southern District of New York stated that her 14th Amendment rights were violated since the New York Yankees clubhouse was controlled by New York City. 
That court also stated that her mm. fundamental right to pursue a career was violated based on her sex, which was illegal. Right. Uh, when asked about the case, Lutke, as it should be. Yeah. Right. When asked about the case, Lutke versus Kuhn um, and its impact on journalism, she said it increased enormously the number of young women who came into sports media as reporters, as employees of sports teams and league offices in agencies representing athletes and in other aspects of sports work that earlier generations of women had not been involved with, such as working as team trainers or as umpires. Wow. So really it's celebrated as like letting women have access to the game yeah. in all facets of it in, a yeah. way, in ways that they hadn't before. Awesome. She continued to work in sports media. She became an author and she has an upcoming memoir Ooh. about her experiences suing the commissioner as a young woman. Cool. I think she was 26 at the time. Holy shit. It's called locker room talk. Great title. <laughs> That's actually very good. And it's expected to be published sometime in 2019. Oh, I can't wait. So follow her on Twitter. Keep an eye out for that book. Nice. Yeah. She is very important. Next up, number three, either way we look at it. <laughs> it's very true. A woman we've talked about on the podcast before. 3,000? Wow. Wow. Did you get that one? Did you get that joke? I don't get you it. You almost can missed you, it. Can you explain it to me? The movie yeah. is called Mr. 3,000. Oh, how about that? I'm I'm aping. It works. The number. That's great. We got easily like all this. we got easily like half an hour for more for you to make this joke. That's very true. Yeah. Claire Smith, we've talked about her before. She's oh, actually yeah. one of our top five women in baseball. Yeah, uh, who are not players. MVP. Go back, yeah, go back and listen. Take me out to the ball game. You can follow her on Twitter at mzc smith, all one word. Claire Smith is hugely important, hugely influential. She is the first woman baseball beat writer in America. So we've had women covering sports. Melissa Lukey was covering the World Series. Mm -hmm. Claire Smith is the first beat writer. So there every day. She's got the baseball beat. Right. She was covering the New York Yankees from 1983 to 1987. So wow. not just the beat, but the like the creme de la Several creme. Years, yeah. The 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 most famous, the most outspoken, you know, the the the, the team that the most press you know, it's going to be covering the, what do they call that? The, um, oh, big market, big market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The biggest of the big, market. the biggest of the biggest markets there is. Yeah. After the first game in the 1984 NLCS was the Cubs at the Padres. The Padres physically removed Claire Smith from the visitors clubhouse, right. despite a National League ruling requiring equal access to all properly accredited journalists during the playoffs. Which team? The Padres? The Padres physically, they Jesus. picked her up and physically removed her from the clubhouse. How often did the Yankees play the Padres? Uh, no, no, no. This is, she was, uh, it was the NLCS. Oh, so she was covering. She was the first beat writer covering the Yankees. But then during the playoffs, she's a baseball writer. So, yeah, she's sure, the playoffs. Sure. so she was covering this game between the Cubs and the Padres. Right. She's trying to get access to the Padres clubhouse and they physically removed her. This incident helped to inspire the ruling for equal access to locker rooms. Right. Claire Smith was elected to the 2017. She was a uh, 2017 recipient of the JG Taylor Sprink award by the baseball writers Association of America. Okay. It's their highest honor. She's the first woman and the fourth African American to receive that award ever. 
Um, wow. and again, it's it's the highest achievement that is awarded by the Baseball Writers Association of America. That's amazing. She said about her work, her career, she said, we get up and we go to work because it's a career and we love to do it and we have a passion for the work. She's one of these women who just said, I, I, like, I'm not a hero. I'm not a symbol. I just want to go to work every day and do the it's job. the normal, right? Yeah, exactly. She's pretty amazing. Go and, and read a lot of stories about her. Uh, she has a cool history, her story of growing up. Mm-hmm. as well and getting into baseball she loved jackie robinson she was inspired by him nice. and she's currently a news editor for espn wow so claire smith we love her there all right number four two <laughs> uh number 42 <laughs> of three thousand. <laughs> uh we've got lisa neas saxon you can follow her on twitter at lisa luisa l-i-s-a-l-u-i-s-a hmm. she is the second woman <laughs> beat reporter we're just going to list all oh, of them. All sure. Of them, yeah. Um, while working for the Daily News of Los Angeles from 1979 to 1987, she became the second woman to cover a full-time baseball beat for Major League Baseball for a daily newspaper. For the Dodgers? After Claire Smith, for the Dodgers. She fought for women to gain equal access to press boxes and locker rooms. She endured both physical and verbal abuse in her career and kind of had the same mindset as Claire Smith. Just keep your head down and do, we wow. just show up and do the job. Yeah. Uh, she said, going into the locker room, knots would get into my stomach. It was mm-hmm. actually a physically uncomfortable thing to do because you didn't know what what you would face. At the very least, you would have jock straps thrown at you, dirty undergarments, and that was an everyday occurrence. And then you would just build onto that what might happen, and you just hope for the best when you went in. Uh, at one point, the abuse that she faced became so horrific that Angels players George Hendrick and John Candelaria had to step in and literally create a human shield between her and her, one of her greatest tormentors, Reggie Jackson. What are really? you? What are you doing, Reggie Jackson? Uh, she Dang. did not. She did not go public with much of her abuse because she feared that doing so would derail the ongoing yeah, efforts to allow women to have equal access to the team clubhouses. So, just again heroic by showing up doing the work took the hits and taking the hits and oh and, and and a pioneer you know paving the way for women to to now be able to do the, now speak up and do this job without facing abuse right she's won numerous writing awards during her journalism career which spanned for decades and in 2017 she was a feature speaker at an event sponsored by the baseball reliquary which is a little museum out here oh yeah in pasadena right yeah i went to see her speak oh and cool she spoke honoring vin scully so Vince wow. Scully was receiving this award and right. she was the speaker. She gave this amazing speech just about all these personal stories, interacting mm-hmm. with him and how warm he was wow. and, and, and encouraging he was yeah. of like, I know you're taking the hits, but you're doing great and wow. keep at it. And you're a great reporter. And Oh, Vin. Yeah. I, so I went up to her afterwards and I said, Oh, this was amazing. You've and met one of these people. I have. Yeah. Wow. I've met uh, Lisa Saxon. And, and What'd I just you said, say? I just went up and I said that your story was really inspiring and, and thank you for doing that work. And, and she said, and she said that she said to me, she's like, look, it wasn't about like, I mean, thank you, but it wasn't about that. We just want to keep our head down and go to Dang. work. And yeah. Amazing. Cool. So, uh, Lisa Saxon, well done. Your best friend. Lisa <laughs> we, we really appreciate you. <laughs> 
fifth on our list of no particular order, we have Susan Fornoff, who we talked about at the beginning mm-hmm. of this segment. You can follow her at Susan Fornoff, S-U-S-A-N-F-O-R-N-O-F-F. She covered the Oakland A's during the 1980s and the early 1990s mm. when they went from terrible to fantastic, mm-hmm. basically. So through their whole home run, uh, not home, uh, World Series run. Yeah, the Bash Brothers, exactly. She became known as the Rat Lady after a player sent her a gift-wrapped rat to help bring attention to what the player considered to be, quote, the injustice of a woman entering the clubhouse. I'm sorry. You said that... Let me try to follow what you just said. Yeah. You said that a player, an anonymous player? I... I, No one knows? I don't have his name written down. Sent her a dead rat. A rat. A live rat. Wrapped in a box. In a box. So she opened a box to a, a starved... A live rat. Yep. Sent to her by a player because he was sexist. Yeah, because he was mad that she was in the Okay, I just wanted to track all that. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) After this incident, the press box came to her defense. Basically, everybody wrote about it in all their uh, columns and everything the next day. Wow. Except for one person. Guess who? Her? Yeah. Wow. She wrote about the game. She didn't write about the incident. She answered reporters' questions very briefly and to the point, but everyone else was kind of calling attention to this except her. She wanted to write about the game, do her job. Very Jackie Robinson-esque. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she wanted to be a journalist and and do it. The player was later fired, by the way. That's good. Yeah, so at least there was some comeuppance of it. And then after reading about other women who quit sports journalism after facing similarly disgusting incidents, she and three other women formed... The Association for Women in Sports Media in 1987. Mm. And she later wrote a memoir called Lady in the Locker Room, which, oh, cool. again, kind of chronicled not only her experiences, but the experiences of other women journalists at the time, yeah. how difficult it was for them not only to get access, but once they did have access, to yeah. just go about doing the job okay. of reporting the beat. She later wrote about the World Cup and also a lot about golf, and she still works in sports media today. So yeah, those are our top five Hell women yeah. sports journalists. Obviously, there are there are many great. there are many more that we love. If you want some current ones, uh, Jessica Mendoza, she now works for the Mets. We featured her previously. The Mets, she's not on with on the, or with uh, A Rod and. Uh, I think she still does some co- uh, Is that commentary. Network? She was working for ESPN. That's right. Uh, but I think she still does some color commentary. But she's taking a job uh, for operations with the Mets. Oh, now. interesting. Uh, earlier this year, 2019. Yeah. Uh, but she is a wonderful commentator. She has fascinating things to say about the mindset of the players. Totally. She was a big star in softball. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's on Twitter at Jess Mendoza. Sarah Langs is a wonderful reporter. She reports for ESPN. She does fantastic work with stats. And she comes all the kind of like crazy nerdy stuff that we love on this show of yeah. just like, you know, Barry Bonds has all intentional walks more right. than any other team, whatever. She's doing all that stuff currently oh cool uh, so you can hear her on the baseball tonight podcast mm-hmm. buster Olney, or you can follow her she is at s langs on sports molly knight is a wonderful reporter oh, yeah. I follow molly knight yeah uh she writes for the athletic now she's really funny yeah she wrote a book called the best team money can buy which is chronicling the dodgers uh through the transition from right. the old ownership regime to uh, the magic johnson the current one yeah and obviously it's i mean it's a few years old at this point so it, it only go i think it goes through like maybe the 2014 season or right, right maybe 2015 but it's sort of chronicling the the player drama the behind the scenes mm. moves negotiations to make baseball 
better in Los Angeles. Right. And it's a wonderful book. It's I'm biased because I'm a Dodgers fan. Yeah, of course you are. Take that out of the equation. It's a great <laughs> book. It's she makes these players sure. alive. She paints it very vividly. There are a lot of big characters. Puig is obviously Kemp. I'm assuming of that era. Yeah, Kemp is there. Zach Granke. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Zach Granke. It's a it's a great book. Definitely check it out. Uh, she writes for the Athletic now. She's right. at Molly underscore Knight. K I think we I think our Twitter account follows her. Yeah, I've, I have any basically any of these people who we weren't following. I went yeah. through and followed last <laughs> um, And Alana Rizzo, uh, she is yes. uh, she's one of the commentators also for the Dodgers. Um, she does she works for Sportsnet LA. Also very funny. Yeah, she's great, and she has great interviews with players and and. You know, because she's around them so much, and they're a bunch of characters too. If we're gonna go down this list, then Amy G for the Giants. She's essentially the the same as Alana, but for the Giants. Oh, okay. She interviews good. all the players, and she's hilarious and great as well. Amazing. So if you're a fan of great women reporters, follow Alana Rizzo is at Alana Rizzo, A L A N N A R I Z Z O. Didn't prepare. I think Amy G's like Amy G Giants and something like that. Amy Gutierrez's Twitter is at Amy G Giants. So give her a fan a follow. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah, give her a follow if you're a fan of uh, losing teams. Alana Rizzo, okay. if you're a fan of winning teams. Uh, <laughs> it's all this, well, this so idea our, of losing so, and winning. Is so that's our segment. <laughs> Paul and I, team differences aside, all of these women do great reporting. Yes. They've written wonderful stories. Yes. They have great color commentary. Seek them out. Follow them on Twitter. Listen to their stories yep. for, who have done podcasts and audio. Try and tune in whenever they're doing color commentary on a game. Read Molly Knight's book. You know, check their articles out. They're all wonderful reporters. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost doesn't matter that they're women if they're fantastic reporters yeah and then you know they've had to face abuse and this terrible history to get there to have the access to write these stories so celebrate it you know go and and read that work because it's important and and fucking entertaining yeah they're great stories that was great cool all right last segment i think we've got one more segment here. we got well i have one more segment that will take two seconds before your last one here and again, it's my favorite segment. You know what it is. Folks, it's time for Useless IMDb Trivia. Hey-o. There we go. Okay. So there was a lot of ones this this round. And like mm-hmm. I said, they were mostly all, that's not Miller Park was built in 97, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch of nerds complaining. A lot of nerds complaining. And my favorite nerd complaint that I found that I thought was really funny yep. is this. Here we go. In 1995, when Stan, Bernie Mac, gets his 3,000th hit, mm-hmm. the pitcher wears a Rawlings, quote, Pro preferred glove. Okay. Which wasn't available in 1995. <gasps> inaccurate. The movie is inaccurate. See you later, movie. Bad movie. <laughs> According to uh, Rawling Stats 99 on IMDb. Well, that's, that's a good thing. that's a good piece of useless trivia. Thank you, thank you. Oh, we got some more coming up. Okay, here we go. Because we love useless trivia on this podcast. <laughs> it's pretty much the If there's two things we love in this podcast, yeah. one is useless trivia, the other is talking about Barry Bonds. My baseball dad. <laughs> He's the guy. He is the He's guy. He's the guy. Fucking, what's his name? Ken Burns made a whole like four hour movie it's about true. him. He's fascinating. Basically. And this movie, like you said, is pretty much he. They a set Barry Bonds up to be character. Barry Bonds. Yeah. The reason they do that is because he's a cultural icon. Yeah. You love him or you hate him. He's a cultural icon. 100%. This is a recurring segment that we do on the show. Go That's ahead. a very nice title. Go ahead. I came up with this title. You did. The title of the segment is Barry Bonds. What the fuck? It's not what the fuck, Barry Bonds? No, it's actually Barry Bonds. What oh, the fuck. shit. Okay. Yeah. The point of this second... <laughs> Again, look, if you love the guy or you hate the guy, Barry Bonds' achievements are absolutely bonkers. They're totally ridiculous. Insane. Yeah. And we love talking about him. 
Okay, so because Stan Ross is essentially Barry Bonds, essentially this greatest hitter, who's yeah. kind of an asshole and selfish, yeah, 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 blah, yeah. blah, we're going to talk about Barry Bonds. So, Paul, are you ready to have your mind blown? Give me some more crazy Barry Bonds stats. Here we go. Okay. 49.1% of Barry Bonds' 2,935 career hits okay. went for extra bases. 49%? 49%. Almost 50% of his hits went for extra bases. He, 50% of his hits he got into scoring position. Yeah. <laughs> he ranks second behind Hank Aaron for or, or scored. Right. He ranks second behind Hank Aaron for most extra career base hits. Wow. Most career extra base hits. Excuse me. To showcase how truly ridiculous that percentage is. Yeah. Basically, the next person is Hank Aaron, who's 39%. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. He's crazy. He's a crazy man. Okay. Barry Bonds played in San Francisco. Oh, did he? Um, Hits that go out of... What is it, 18-2 Park? Into and, McCovey Cove? Yeah, into yeah. McCovey Cove. Those are called splash hits. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with splash hits? Oh, am I familiar with splash hits? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's He's... only recorded for Giants players That's correct. who hit during a game a yes. home run that goes. Oh, I think I know the stat you're about to. As of July 1st, yeah. 2019, <laughs> there were 79 splash hits that have been depressed. recorded <laughs> Into the bay, into the right. cove, yeah. by Giants players since the park opened. Yeah, there's been seventy nine splash hits. I wanted you to guess how many belong to Barry Bonds. I knew you were going to make me do this. It's 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 stupid. I think only Pablo and Belt have done it. Uh, there's been a few, maybe like Pablo maybe Sandoval and Brandon Belt are second on the list. They each have eight yeah. eight splash hits. How many splash hits does Barry Bonds have? Out of 79. Probably 71. <laughs> no. Wow. Oh. I thought you guys just had the rest. Idiot. Um, they each have eight hits. Belt and... Oh, I thought you Pablo might combine. Each. They had eight hits. No, no. <laughs> uh, okay, whatever that number is. Minus 16. I don't Th- know. Uh, 35. 35. 35. Okay. Basically. Basically the majority yeah, yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than half. <laughs> it's hard to hit it out there. Uh, especially, slightly, slightly less than half. Especially if you're a giant yeah. of recent uh, <laughs> history. 26.3% of Barry Bonds's 12,606 career plate appearances ended with a home run or a walk. So wow. we're talking about the true outcomes of baseball. Wow. The three true outcomes are a home run, a uh, strikeout, or a walk. Um, basically, a run or a walk, home run or a walk, 26%. Can you imagine more if you're a pitcher? More than a quarter of his career. More than a quarter of his career. He got a walk fucking, or he got a home run. That's insane. Dude. That's why his on-base percentage is so wrong. high. Yeah. If you hit a home run, yeah. here's a crazy one. You okay. ready? If you hit a home run and a single in five at-bats yeah. every day, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would finish the season with 162 home runs okay. and 810 total bases on 324 hits and a lower OPS on-base plus slugging percentage than Barry Bonds in 2004. <laughs> so in the year this movie came out, if you got a home run every day oh my God. and a hit in five at-bats, you would be worse than Barry Bonds. That's like the best player in baseball. It's the cheat. It, I mean, yeah. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> no, I'm saying this theoretical person oh, would be is the best, best person in right. baseball. Other than Barry Bonds. That's better than Trout and Yelich combined. Wow, dude. And it's not as good as Barry Bonds. That's fucking crazy. All right. Barry Bonds, uh, we uh, we talk about stats. Uh, war is a stat that we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Wins above replacement. Basically, it tries to 
qualify all stats data that we have to get down to one number of how good is this player and specifically how much better is he than if you were to just bring up your standard average replacement player. Right. So if you had a replacement player on the team instead of Barry Bonds, uh, how how many more games would your team win? A or quick lose? stat to look at that. how much can this yeah. person help us win? If you're very good, you have a high war. If you're not very good, you have a pretty low it's war. It's like a weird overall rating kind yeah. of. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the idea of trying to get it all down to one number, but it's yeah. just, it's a little bit, for me, it's, it's a little bit It's kind of like a the rating in a video game. It's like yeah. the, the they always have, like Barry Bonds would probably be rated like 98, totally. you know, in the yeah. video game. That's essentially what it is. So over the course of his 22 career, 22 year career, Barry Bonds was worth, 162.5 war. <laughs> okay. In 1998, Barry Bonds was... We talked about this on the fan podcast as well. Mm-hmm, in 1998, mm-hmm. Barry Bonds was intentionally walked with the bases loaded. Yes. Insane. A couple times, right? Just once. Oh, uh, just once. But it was a it was a close game. So here's what happened. This has only happened since inter- intentional walks were first recorded yeah. in 1955. Mm-hmm. This has only happened twice since 1955. Uh, it was Arizona at San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was the bottom of the ninth. Mm-hmm. It was eight to six Arizona. Mm-hmm. Buck Showalter, the manager for the Diamondbacks, right. calls for pitcher Greg Olson to intentionally walk Barry Bonds Fuck it, yeah. with the bases loaded, walking in a run. The video is on YouTube. Everybody should look it up. Because Who was after Bonds? Was it Kent? After Bonds? Yeah. Um, no, the the one other time was Josh Hamilton. No, 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 no. In the order. Like, who were they walking oh, I, to I, get to? I have no idea. Somebody who's not Barry Bonds. It doesn't yeah. fucking matter. <laughs> Anybody who's not named Barry Bonds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Barry Bonds' face is just like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. He, just, he can't believe it. I could, no one would. And then the announcers, like, then when they start to do it, because obviously Barry Bonds has like a second ahead of everybody else because he's right there. They're like, right. well, we're going to touch yeah. a walk-in. And he's like, uh, what? Yeah. And then they start to do it. And the announcer's like, they're walking him. They're on top of the walking him. They're freaking out. Yeah, they dude. can't believe it. It's probably Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper you're listening to in that video. And you know what? It fucking worked. Arizona <laughs> won the game 8-7. to seven. <laughs> The only other instance was in 2008 uh, between the Rays and the Rangers. Mm. Grant Balfour walked, intentionally walked Josh Hamilton with the bases loaded. God, that guy was so dangerous for that yeah. couple seasons. Buck Walter said after that game, you try to give your club the best opportunity to win a game. It might not have been good, but it was better than the option we had, which yeah. was pitching to Barry Bonds. Yeah. Barry Bonds. Giving up a walk-off grand what slam. What <laughs> <laughs> oh Full circle, dude. It's very good. Uh, to end off this segment, Barry Bonds ended his career just 65 hits away from reaching 3,000. So close. Yeah. How many games do you think if he, if he actually if he had come back? back the next year? Yeah. Five. Probably half, <laughs> half the season or so. At that point, he would have been 40. 40, 40 right? 40-ish. Yeah. 40, 41. And he had just, the season before, he had what, 30, 20? What the fuck, Barry Bonds? Like, yeah. I mean, home runs wise, you know, like he would have yeah. done it for sure. Uh, and he still could. <laughs> Maybe I'll come back. I, I, I Maybe he'll come back like Ben Ross. Could, yeah, and, and do it. Oh my God, that'd be insane. I'd be, I'd be nuts. I'd be, be nuts. super down for it. Who would you want to come back? It would be Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds over or, anybody else. Or Ken Griffey, like I said. Yeah, Ken Griffey. that's a good one. Or um, a pitcher would be fun. Yeah. Uh, as a relief, as a reliever. Yeah. Just come yeah. in for yeah. Bartolo. Let's <laughs> <laughs> come back again. So that's All it. Right, that's Mr. it, Mister Three Thousand. We did it. I actually had, I wanted real quick, 
Um, Did we didn't do it. The quickest thing in the world. What is that? Um, what? I just wanted to know if Bernie Mac was a baseball fan. Oh, nice. So real quick, I, I found an article with him, the guy who played T-Rex. Yeah. Talking about his experience working with Bernie in the movie. Cool. Um, and he said, quote, the actor that taught me the most was Bernie Mac. I did my first big budget studio film with him and Angela Bassett, uh, Mr. 3000 for Disney. Mm-hmm. Bernie taught me by example what creates success is humility and hard work. The first day on set, we sat around talking to him for three hours. At the end of one day of shooting, we had 8,000 extras in the baseball stadium. And Bernie stayed until every person got their hug, high five, autograph, and their picture taken with wow. him. He even argued with his uh, security and said... This is why I'm here. I'll pay for it if we have to keep the lights on. Get out of my face and let me focus on who's important. Wow. Isn't that fucking cool? That's awesome. Um, and then I found one more article about this That's guy who interviewed great. his about him and his love of sports. Um, and he grew up in Chicago uh, in the South Side. And like mm-hmm. how he loved all Chicago teams except for the Cubs because he's a White Sox fan. <laughs> and... Um, it's a lot of animosity between them. It really is. And he said, I wish there was a quote. I wish I had started playing golf earlier, said the six foot three Mac who uh, possessed the frame of a tight end. But I played baseball, basketball, football, volleyball, and I boxed in high school. He repeated wistfully, I played baseball. Wow. Isn't that that's fucking, a, that's fucking cool? I know, dude. Um, and then one more thing. And same article, him and uh, sports center analyst um, Scoop, Scoop Jackson was saying that they both would often discuss their mutual admiration for the underrated 1976 bingo long traveling all-stars wow. and motor kings quote which we're going to talk about later this yeah season. we're going to do it this season um he said quote we both love that film how important bingo long was you had james earl jones billy d williams and richard pryor speaking on the importance of the negro league it wasn't just black history it was baseball history i know what a film like mr 3000 was rooted in and yeah, it was rooted in Bernie Max. Evidently, he's a huge fan of baseball. That's awesome. And not just a huge fan of baseball, but a huge fan of black history, uh, base, black baseball history. Yeah. There was, a, I guess, also the the filming of the event was a big deal, too. And they would shoot yeah. often in between innings of real games. Oh, that's so cool. And so he, would, he ended up going to a lot of these games. Yeah. And then they would, in between innings, they'd rush out, film a quick scene, rush back in. <laughs> They come out play another. It's a great idea. Yeah, it, it's so a lot of these shots in here are real crowds. Wow, there's stuff with extras, obviously, but yeah. a lot of it is also real crowds during real games. That's so cool. In between, yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway, let's write this movie. Do you have one? I've got one. I got one. Oh, go ahead. Well, you go. You you go first. I would rate this movie. Yeah, similar to my when I went to go see Albert Pujols and the Angels mm. when he had two thousand nine hundred. <laughs> and I was really hoping that he's going to hit 3,000 and he went over 3. <laughs> I think he may have walked or got, he may have gotten one hit. I don't remember. But regardless, yeah. it's like that. I was really hoping that maybe at the very least, literally in the movie that he would hit 3,000 and he yeah. didn't and uh, it fell flat for me. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I'd rate it a single. Sure. <laughs> it's yeah. the first time I ever used that rating. It's more simple than usually, but it's like, like yeah. uh, it's it. Bernie Mac is great. Yeah. It's nice to be around him. Yes. For two hours. Angela Bassett obviously is great. Um, I mean, the baseball stuff works. It works. Yeah. Bernie, even Bernie Mac's performance is like great. I, I kind of only appreciate it scene to scene. That's yeah. Like when yeah. he's funny over the top clown, Bernie Mac in one scene. Okay. I, I enjoy that for what it is. Sure. Yeah. And then in the next scene, he's able to bring a little bit of pathos yeah. and soul, which is great. And then in the next scene, he's, you know, uh, stubborn and ridiculous and over the top again. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah, I like this too. I just don't like all three of those together. You know, I just don't like them all yeah, they, yeah. in one movie. So agreed, you know, the, the charisma 
of Bernie Mac and and soul and and heart that he brings to the movie and Angela Bassett's great performance. Sure, nice hard grounder single. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's not the worst, but it's just it's not base. It's not very exciting on its own, and it doesn't yeah. really go anywhere. Agreed. You know, even if it could. Agreed. Much like a single. Yeah. If you want to see Mr. 3000, this movie is available in all the places. All the places I rented on Amazon, iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. yeah. Get out of your like local library. Bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's on Showtime. It was. That was an option. At some point. Yeah. And you should go check it out. Yeah. I, I, I Again, I recommend it for sure if you haven't seen it. If it was like if I was home for Christmas because I don't have cable and it's on, on cable and I was watching it because I had nothing to do with Christmas vacation, yeah, sure. I'd probably watch it, watch yeah. some of it. Why not? Yeah. So that does it for Mr. 3000. We did it. Next up, next week, we are doing Kill the Umpire, which I've never seen. It's from 1950-something. 50-something. Old movie. And evidently, it's about killing umpires, which I think we can all relate to. (laughs) Or wanting to, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Angel Hernandez, maybe, at least. Uh, Joe West. Yeah. If you... Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to hear more, if you like us, uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at Baseball Pod Show mm-hmm. or Instagram at Playball Podcast. We post content about the shows that we're doing, the movies that we're doing. Yeah, fun baseball trivia stuff. And if you like this podcast, rate us a five-star rating and leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah, do it. I dare you. That pushes us up in the, the standings the stand- you can find us. And <laughs> we're we- a couple games back. <laughs> <laughs> we're chasing. <laughs> We could really use your help. ESPN's Baseball Tonight podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we we read every review. So yeah, we that's true. See, let us know what you think. You know what? You do a review, we'll give you a shout out on the show. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a big... We'll send you a free t-shirt <laughs> as uh, soon as we make that. Listen to us shout out my mom on the next show, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day, everybody. And remember, don't strike out. Strike in the what he said. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we'll get there. And remember we only, we only have three thousand more baseball movies. <laughs> and remember, there's always another baseball movie. There's another thing. Yeah. God fucking damn it. Good job. Good job. Okay. We're cutting this. Just, just, oh yeah, no, I'm get cutting out. it. Gotta get out. Gotta get out. All right, but guys. <laughs> see you later, everybody. <laughs> Turn it off. Three thousand goodbyes. Three thousand thank yous. We love you. We love you. Three. Th- we love you. Three thousand. We love you times three thousand. Wow. Bye. Avengers. Avengers. There. What? It's like the Avengers. I love you. Three thousand. Oh right, right. Listeners, we love you. Three thousand, and we apologize. Three thousand for not being able to end this. Okay. Show. Goodbye. <laughs>